Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 194 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. My name is Byron. I'm here with Gary. Gary, we've got a great show this week. We do. Uh, we have a repeat guest. Um, we haven't had very many repeat guests because, uh, you know, there's so many great people we've wanted to interview. But this week we have the one, the only Steve Maxwell back on the show. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with Steve. Uh, we talk about a lot of different topics in this interview, and, and he just he's an interesting person. And uh, he's one of the first, you know, uh, black belts from the United States. And he's got a lot of history to him, and he's 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 kind of teaching jujitsu and fitness to a lot of different people, and he really has some really great ideas and and some philosophy. So great to have him back on the show. Excited to bring that to everybody. Yeah, we're definitely excited. And uh, you know, I was just thinking, him and his son Zach are probably the only father son we've had on the show. Would that be correct? Uh. Yeah, I would think so. I'm not 100% yeah. sure after almost 200 episodes. I, uh, but yeah, yeah I, was I think right, to, Gary. Yeah, I was trying to think back. I think that might be it. But So definitely uh, stay tuned. Do not miss uh, the interview with Steve Maxwell. Yep, and if you haven't checked it out, uh, our first interview with Steve Maxwell was actually a two-part uh, uh, series, I guess, episode 72 and episode 73. So uh, that's... That was a while. That was in that was in early March of 2015. So it's been a little while, and I realized that and I'm like, man, I got to call Steve Maxwell back, and uh, here we go. So that's going to be uh, a lot of fun, and and you're gonna I, you're gonna enjoy this interview. So if you you know want to go back and listen to what he's talking about a few years back, a lot of it's timeless. You know they call evergreen uh, stuff. So uh, go check out the old stuff too. It's all good, Gary. Much like yep. our email list is all good. Uh, yep, get on it's all our, good in the hood. Get on our email list, and we'll send you out the show notes uh, to each and every show once a week. And it just says all the stuff they're easy for you to find. Check out the article of the week. You know, if you forget the quote, and you, you're like, that's a good quote. I forgot how it was worded. Hey, look in your email, your email box, and it'll be there for you. And also, uh, check out our link for Byron's audiobook, Six BJJ Training Games. Uh, it's the newest audiobook on the BJJ Brick list of audiobooks, and it's only $5.99. Uh, and basically, the goal of this book is to uh, play while rolling, and it's going to get you better faster, you know, going to develop your teams, discover unique games. And you know what's the most important thing? Have more fun. Um, so definitely, um, it's getting some great reviews. It's about an hour long. Um, like I said, only $5.99. Check it out and uh, have fun and get your BJJ game much better. Yep. I had a lot of fun recording that. And it, the idea of playing a game while you're rolling has been something that has been uh, a lot of help towards me. Like, and, and I'm really happy to share that with the audience. Yeah, yeah I'm always playing a game when I roll. It's called <laughs> Try Not to Tap Out. <laughs> and uh, I lose most of the time, but, uh, you know, I try. Yeah, you got to try. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's good, Gary. I'm glad to hear about you trying there. You know, speaking of trying, yeah. uh, we have an awesome quote this week, Byron. I'd like to hear you try uh, it. I'm going to try it. The, the <laughs> quote comes from James Cash Penny. Uh, not Johnny Cash. This is another person. But uh, his quote is, The best teamwork comes from men who are working independently toward one goal in unison. 
and uh you know awesome quote right there and uh it kind of makes me think of uh your jujitsu team um yeah basically you're you're working you know you go in there and you're, you're trying to better yourself you're you're trying to win tournaments you're trying to you know uh you know become the next belt you're trying to get better submissions better submission defense you're always trying to make yourself better but you're also working in unison to make that team better uh, you know as you get better your team gets better um, as your team gets better you get better um, you know it all kind of you know goes together and, and uh, you even though a lot of people think uh, it's an individual sport because you're the only person out there on the mat, um, it's you against another person. Really, there's no way you're going to win without you know teammates and a, and a coach behind you that uh, and you know that you all work together to uh, you know make the whole room better. Yeah, it, there are so many elements to a team, and there's I mean you could think of a team as being a group of gals and guys that go out and compete together or I also think of the team as the group of people who are at the gym when you show up and and, and if, if you're someone who goes and competes the people who aren't competing are still part of your team and they're still helping you uh, get better and you might I'm thinking of this several ways but well one way is you might have somebody who's got a really good half guard you might have somebody who could pass basically every guard that is put in front of them and so just and a lot of other people like that but by having that good half guard player on your team, you're going to have like a built up resistance to half guards. If you don't have that person on your team, it, it, it's going to be an area that, yeah, you know how to pass half guard. But when you get somebody who's got that good half guard, they're going to just sweep you with it right away. But because you have that element of your team that's strong, and that's like their role, you know? So it, their role is to play that good half guard on the team. That their role towards you is to send that best at you and, and really show you where you're where you're lacking on your passing for that half. And and, it, and you could look at this the same, like anything you're good at, you're bringing that to the team. And you could think of other teams, like a football team. One guy's job might be to block. Uh, another guy's job, I don't know what they call the position, but he might be to throw the ball. Uh, and another, That's a quarterback. Okay, bar. yeah. We're talking about quarters. Uh, the guy's name is Penny. Um, it's all confusing to me, Carrie. I'm so new at this. Yeah, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> but another person's job might be to receive the ball and try to run it into a goal. Is that right, Gary? Into the end zone. Okay, right. that's right. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, so if the quarterback is worried about blocking, which legitimately he probably is worried a little bit about, you know, that the blocker's on the job, but it's not his job. Your job is to throw the ball. If the blocker's worried about whether the person's going to catch the ball, that's not helping anybody. You have one job block the person in front of you from getting to that quarterback. Man, I'm doing pretty good at a football analogy. You are. You football, are. American football, uh, not uh, soccer. Not football. <laughs> so uh, you can take this a little – I mean, it's, we're different as a grappling team. But it's to me, part of it is if you're bringing your best skills and assets to the, to the team, the whole team's going to benefit. And that might even just be something as simple as – being welcoming to guests that come in and strangers that are visiting the gym for the first time. That's part of a team. You might have somebody who's really good come in the, the class to check it out because they're looking, they just sit back in, they're in town for the first time looking for a place to train. And yeah, you're pretty, the, the team's good. They go check the other team is pretty good. They're about the same. But over here, th this person was really nice to me. I feel like I've already made a friend there. And that, that, person who may not even be a serious grappler is what tipped the scales towards uh to where that person actually ended up training and, and actually builds the the uh, technical side of the team 
based on a non-technical uh, feature of it. I don't know. There, there's a lot going on to a team, not always just pure jiu-jitsu. Sometimes it's social aspects, and sometimes it's uh, you know positive encouragement and, and that sort of thing as well. But well, not- you know, uh, Byron was talking to me one day, and and uh, we had this exact <laughs> same conversation. Okay. You know, I was kind of asking him what I bring to the team, and and Byron said. Man, he's like, you know, the reason I call you Boucher is because you're great at filling everybody's water cup. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he calls me the water boy and says I, I've done a great job, uh, you know, making sure everybody's fully hydrated with quality H2O. High quality H2O. That's that's one of Gary's biggest priorities is to make sure he yep. has that. Yep. So I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm definitely good at something. We're entering into the summer months here. And it gets hot, and that's another tip that Gary has for you. What's that? Why is it so important to stay hydrated, Gary? Well, Mama says that uh, <laughs> if you don't stay hydrated, you may cramp up on the uh, mat. So uh, always listen to Mama. Why is the alligator always so mad? The alligator is always so mad because I forgot that part. I forget it. Is it because he has uh, so many teeth and no toothbrush or something like that? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Colonel Sanders said it too. Oh, nice. Yes. Mandula oblongata. Now, is there anyone here that can tell me why most alligators are abnormally aggressive? I know the answer to this question. Raise your hand. Anybody? Anyone? Yes or you, sir? Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) Your mama said it. Alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anybody else? Hey, yes, the user. Alligators are aggressive because of an enlarged medulla oblongata. It's the sector of the brain which controls aggressive behavior. That is correct. The medulla oblongata. Mama said. The medulla oblongata is where anger, jealousy, and aggression come from. Is there anybody here can tell me where happiness comes from? All right. Let's hear what Mama has to say on the subject. Mama say that happiness is from magic rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, Mama's wrong again. (laughs) No, Colonel Sanders, you're wrong. Mama's right. So, anyway, yeah, that's a that's a good quote, Gary. And I like you always pull in a good movie reference, and I'm lucky if I know what the movie's from. So, if you haven't oh, seen thank the, you. If you haven't seen the movie Water Boy, uh, I recommend it. Gary, does, yep, it get, does it get a thumb up from you? Oh, definitely gets a thumb up, and uh, definitely check it out. Byron's going to put a link to it in the show notes. Okay, I'll do that. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> One more thing to do. <laughs> Well, while you're staying hydrated, sit back, drink your water. Maybe you're out jogging or something like that. Get some popcorn. Uh, Here is our interview with Steve Maxwell. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. I invented a way to train BJJ without a partner. After only a couple of weeks of this training, my cauliflower doubled in size. I complained that my training partner was too rough. Many years ago, I invented a guard pass called the Robin. I named it after the bird, the 
Pass did not seem to have much use until the Worm Guard became popular. Not only does this robin defeat the Worm Guard, this bird was also early. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring back Steve Maxwell to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Steve, it's been over two years since we've had you on. You're uh, one of the top fitness coaches in the world. You're one of the first American black belts. Uh, Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Always glad to have my voice heard. Uh, You know, as as you know, I I make my living in uh, both uh, the fitness realm and uh, the jiu-jitsu domain. So anytime I can get... Uh, my voice heard uh it, it it's definitely good for business <laughs> well that's good and uh i just can't believe it's been that long i had such a great time talking with you last time and uh really for looking forward to getting you back on the show uh got a lot of different topics a wide variety of things to cover today but uh it, we had kind of a a nice uh, i urge somebody that, that hasn't heard about you before or the past interview, go back and listen to it. I'll put a link to it in the notes. It was, I think it was 72 was uh, the first interview with you. You did a really nice detailed history kind of, I don't know how detailed, but we talked about your early training and, and wrestling and trying to strike in martial arts. But could you just kind of give us a little uh, bio about who you are and, and, and what you're doing? Well, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of people go through life with jobs they hate and, you know, doing things that they're not particularly happy with, but they do them anyway, you know, either out of a, a duty to the family or sometimes they're just hooked on material stuff and they got to pay the bills, you know? And I was very lucky and very fortunate. When I was 12 years old, I remember saying I wanted to be a physical education teacher because the people I admire most were my PE teachers and my coaches in school. I started wrestling from an early age. It was the only sport I was good at. I pretty much sucked at basketball and baseball, and, and I was too little for football. I was a small kid. And uh, I found that I was pretty decent at wrestling. You know, to I uh, did have uh, the endurance for uh, distance running and track and field or cross country, and I didn't have the speed for any kind of sprint work. And I was too small for the field event. So, you know, wrestling was it. Probably would have done okay at gymnastics had they had it back in those days. And all my training was geared towards, towards wrestling to make me a better athlete. That, that's, that, that was my whole shtick. Uh, better performance. I, I didn't care about powerlifting, weightlifting, demonstrating strength, becoming a strength specialist. Uh, nor was I even interested in uh, bodybuilding or anything. I just wanted to be a better wrestler. And uh, that's that's how I got started. My d- dad got, got me this rusty barbell set, <laughs> and I lifted in, in 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 his home in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, uh, in the basement. It was a cellar dweller, and with my first barbell, I followed his old York barbell courses. Then I did have a brief love affair with Olympic lifting for a while, thinking that somehow the Olympic lifts were going to be helped my wrestling, but I found the exact opposite was true. They actually took away and detracted from my wrestling. That's a, that's one of those myths that still is pervasive to this day that somehow 
Olympic lifts will make you more explosive. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's just a good way to get hurt. And the skill set required to do the Olympic lifts are tremendous. Uh, I mean, guys specialize their whole life in just doing those lifts. And it really detracts from what you really need to be doing. And that's getting on the mat. So I knew from an early age I wanted to be a PE teacher. And I went on to graduate from the School of Health and Physical Education at Westchester State College. It was a state teacher's college back in the day. And I went on to coach wrestling and teach at the high school level for a while. And um, kind of realized that, well, kids are pretty energy intensive, you know. Kids are, <laughs> kids are tough. And, uh, you know, I was good at it. But I found I, I really liked working with adults better. I had been doing uh, part-time jobs at gyms, local gyms. And uh, I really liked working with adults. And, of course, in those days, personal training was just in its infancy. In fact, it didn't really exist. I remember the first time some I found out someone was willing to pay me good money to give them a workout. I couldn't believe it. It was something I enjoyed doing. I, in fact, I, I would train people for free. And uh, here it was. I discovered I, I could actually make a living doing this. And it was like, wow, this is awesome. And then uh, I always had this idea of opening my gym, own gym someday. And I did that uh, in 1990 in uh, Philadelphia, PA. It was called Maxercise. It was the first Brazilian jiu-jitsu academy in the eastern seaboard. And it was uh, also the first group kettlebell classes in the United States in modern times. So it wow. was, you know, kind of, kind of a, you know, started out very simple, you know. Uh, wrestling coach, high school physical education and health teacher to working in gyms to eventually having my own gym and jiu-jitsu school. Really ahead of the curve there with uh, kettlebells and, and jiu-jitsu. What year was that you opened your gym? That was in 1990. I was still very much uh, in love with um, uh, the high-intensity training philosophy, uh, HIT. Uh, I was very much uh, into the uh, Mike Menser theory. Uh, I did a lot of work with the super slow. Maybe you've heard of uh, – you know, Tim Ferriss's book, The, uh, the Four-Hour Body, uh, Mike Mentzer, Heavy Duty, uh, Arthur Jones, uh, High Intensity, uh, L. Darden. Uh, I had a lot of hammer strength equipment at that time. Uh, a lot of NFL football teams were very much into the high-intensity training philosophy. And I found it a really good fit for a lot of my clients who were elderly. I, I worked with uh, a lot of aging baby boomers and so forth. Uh, a lot of I had a lot of doctors that were clients, and they would send me patients for uh, potential rehab. You know, after the physical therapist had released them, a lot of these people were still barely ambulatory. So I used to do a lot of work uh, with hammer strength and some vintage Nautilus uh, pieces that had been retrofitted with super slow cams and was very successful in, in helping those people. You know, there's this whole movement nowadays that all oh, machines are – are non-functional, you know? Well, that's a bunch of nonsense, man. <laughs> the 1970, tell that to the 1973 Miami Dolphin football team. Their entire team was trained on Nautilus uh, machines. They were the only team to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. That was Don Shula. I believe that was 73. So, I mean, you know, 
it's all functional. Anything that makes you stronger is functional. So this idea that this is functional, that's not anything that makes you stronger is functional. Whether it's a, you know, a twenty thousand dollar MedEx lower back machine, or you know, a sandbag, it doesn't matter. Anything that can make you stronger progressively and can be done in a safe, sane manner with good technique and good form will make you better no matter what you do. It doesn't matter. That's so, where people get really mixed up. To kind of bring back up your uh, difficulties with Olympic lifts, um, that it was they're just too – you spend too much time having to learn how to do the lift properly. Is that what part of the problem with that was? Or Yeah. I mean, you, first of all, you need a really good coach. So you don't hurt yourself. And a lot of people really hurt themselves. And Olympic lifters are frequently hurt, and they know how to do it. The second thing is we all know that due to the specificity of training, that one sport does not make you better at another sport. So practicing the sport of Olympic lifting is, I mean, you certainly get stronger. There's no doubt that you get stronger. But it's the assistance exercises that really help you become better at other sports not so much the lifts themselves. The lifts are just too complex and too skilled. You, when you do uh, strength training for sport, you want to keep it general and as nonspecific as, 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 as possible for the most part. I mean, there are some specific things you can do. For example, for grapplers and jiu-jitsu guys, towel chin-ups can be a real boon for grip forearms. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. That's specific. Rope climbing has been used forever by grapplers and wrestlers because it's really pretty much like grabbing a human wrist over and over and over again. You know, so some of these things can be very, very useful. But you know, just regular chin-ups, regular pull-ups, uh, regular push-ups, dips. You know, any kind of barbell work with the bench. But the more skill a lift takes, the less application it has to anything else, and you get this very grooved in. Uh, coordinated movement pattern with the Olympic bar, you know, and th- you're basically throwing a bar over your head and jumping underneath it when you do Olympic barbell snatch. That really doesn't apply to anything in real life. Not really. Yes, you will get strong, <laughs> but is it the be- but is it the best way to get strong for jujitsu wrestling? No, it is not. It's not even close. There's there's at least a dozen other exercises that are much safer, much easier to learn. And take a lot less time to master. That will give you way more, you know, bang for the buck. And there's different goals people are going to have. You might have the competitor uh, that really wants to get that peak performance and, and have those great results on the mat. And you might have somebody who just wants to stay on the mat longer and continue to get enjoyment out of their grappling. And there's a place for both those, I guess, with the off the mat training. Well, with the competitor, obviously, he needs to be peak physical condition. For him, you know, uh, it's a well-known fact that two athletes of the same skill, the stronger, better conditioned athlete will always win. So let's say you have two black belts in the finals. Both have the same exact skill sets. Both are just unbelievable. Well, the guy that is better shape is going to win. The guy that's stronger, better conditioned. It's, it's, it's a well-known fact. But a lot of times, skill can offset strength, especially in a real high-skill uh, sport like jiu-jitsu. You have many guys that uh, 
their skill sets are just so unbelievable that, you know, they don't really need to be all that strong. But even they would be better if they were stronger. I, I've, I've heard it said many times that you don't want to use more than 60% of your strength when you're on the mat. I've heard this, you know, by many, many high level guys. You know, you only exert like really high levels just for short bursts now and again. But for the most part, you keep your, your, your output about 60%. Like but a- imagine, but imagine if a young man starts jujitsu and he more than doubles his strength, which is not uncommon. I've more, I, I've doubled and even tripled people's strength within just a couple of years of starting basic strength training. So imagine now you're three times stronger than what you were when you first started strength training. So 60% is going to be way up there. <laughs> so, so your 60% is going to feel like another guy's 100%. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I wrestled with a guy today. He's a really good friend of mine. He was my first black belt, Scott Burke. Uh, he, he, he's a really amazing guy. He's a rock climber. Uh, just an amazingly uh, strong guy. Just one of the strongest grips. Like, for example, I'll give you an idea how strong this guy is. Uh, have you ever done a one arm hang, just hang by one hand off a high bar? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't uh, recall doing that like intentionally, but I, I think it, uh, was a little hard on my, my shoulder perhaps. And, and I pretty well, much failed right? on my hand. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. Most people are lucky if they can hang at all. And if you can make like 10 to 15 seconds, you're, you're pretty average. You know, 20 seconds, you're strong. Well, I timed Scott the other day, did a minute and 47 seconds. <laughs> and I think a minute and 43 on the other side. Yeah, that kind of strength. Wow. He, he can do a one-arm chin-up. So we were grappling today, actually, here in Sardinia. You know, we, 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 we pulled out some of this puzzle match that uh, this guy let us borrow on the sand. And uh, we're playing around. And, you know, this guy could uh, – at one time I could, I could put a whooping on him. But, you know uh, – now that I'm 64, uh, I'm on the downside, and he's still coming up. <laughs> so he, he can pretty much uh, crush me just just with his pure strength if he wanted to. But we're matching trick for trick. Yeah. But it's just amazing how strong he is. Like I would apply a really decent finishing hold on him, and he would just like you know just effortlessly bull out of it, and not even using strength. I you know he was using strength, but I couldn't accuse him of overusing strength. Because his strength was so great, it was effortless for him to break whatever hold I was attempting on him. He was staying under that 60% range. Yeah. I mean, and the way you know that, and then for your listeners out there, especially the beginner guys, the way you know that, if you get winded in training, you're using too much power. That's how you know. If you're winded and you're out of breath, and especially if you're mouth breathing, first of all, you're doing yourself great harm to your health. You're, you're really harming your health by by – Going to the mouth, you want to, you know, the old saying, mouth is for eating, nose is for breathing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't breathe in through the pie hole. You keep the pie hole shut and you learn to nasal only breathe. This is one of the secrets to great endurance on the mat. And when you exceed your breath capacity, it means you're using too much power. You need to calm down and relax. Now, I'm not talking about going out there and trying to win the gold medal in the world. There you're going to do anything you can to win, including get out of breath. You're going to get your gas pulled. I'm talking about normal training for the most part. 
normal training. So to somebody who is trying to get that gold medal, should they most of the time still stay under that 60% range or do they need to be pushing themselves a couple times well, a week? Well, most of the time that? when they were in the gym, they, they, you know, they, they want to develop their, their, their skill sets as high as possible and try to use as little power as possible. That's part of the skills of jiu-jitsu. The, part of the skill is making the other guy tired, making him pull his gas while you're conserving your energy. That, that's an actual skill unto itself. Some guys are just unbelievable with that. Uh, I, I can remember wrestling with Sully Barrow and he could make me tap without even using his hands. I know. It sounds unbelievable, right? <laughs> and then I saw him do it to Phil Miglarese. It was like, holy shit, I don't feel so bad. You know? <laughs> I felt like just throw, I was a brow by the time. I felt like throwing my brow by in the trash and putting a white belt back on. That How the hell can this guy do this? Wow. But, you know, he's a multiple, what is he, five-time world champ, three or four-time Abu Dhabi world submission wrestling champ? I mean, what the hell? You know, the lead is the elite. So I didn't feel so bad, you know, when I saw him do it to a guy that was way much younger than myself. But that, that's just it. He wasn't using any power. He just knew how to use his weight, make me carry his weight, make me struggle, make me work, you know. His brother Shaji, same thing. I mean, there's guys that are just incredible that way. Cron Gracie, the few times I've rolled with him, it was unbelievable. It's just the way he can just make you work. And make you work so hard and make you struggle while he's really using no effort whatsoever. And that's the key. You know, that's, that's one of the skill sets. It's more than just rolling upside down into a bear and bolo and, you know, doing all these flips and things. Yeah. That- <laughs> Roger, you know, I've seen Roger Gracie totally gas guys out and he, he doesn't use anything more than any blue ball knows. I mean, have you ever seen him use any technique? that you didn't learn within your first year of jiu-jitsu? I never have. Yeah? Yeah. It's just amazing. But, you know, his precision, his timing, uh, you know, the way he he makes the other guy work, you know? Yeah. It's it's incredible. So, you know, for conditioning, when guys say, oh, I'm so out of breath, I need to get in better shape, I need to do wind sprints, I need to run the stairs, I need to lift, I need to get stronger well, no, you just need to get higher skill. You need to get the skill of making the other guy work. And, 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 and you know, stop trying to offset skill with strength and power. This is, you know, your typical blue belt. Now, once you get your black belt, okay, go ahead. Get as strong as possible. I've actually had many young guys that came in and really super strong guys to my old gym matches us. And I would literally say, look, man, it's going to be really hard to, to, for you to learn jiu-jitsu. You're just always going to use bull and power. And as soon as you get with a guy that's a little bit stronger than you, you're not going to have anything. The best thing you could do is just stop lifting weight for six months or so while you learn all the basics and then put your weight training back into the mix. I've done that with many guys. Yeah. And it, it, it makes it a lot better for them. Master Elio Gracie. Uh, one time told me this was down in his farm. I stayed with him for a month one time at his farm. And I used to see him quite a bit in LA. I was enrolled in the uh, Gracie instructor training program. It was a program that was started by Hori and Gracie, Elio's oldest son and Elio himself. And it was designed to teach people how to teach the Gracie system. 
which is an educational system. People always say, well, what's the difference between Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? There's two differences. The first difference is there's a huge emphasis placed on realistic street combat and the self-defense system. As an instructor, you, you, you're absolutely required to know all the stand-up self-defense from punches, grabs, kicks, knife, stick, gun, baseball bat from various positions. You need to know all that to, to get your, your, your ranking. The second thing is the way it's taught. It's a teaching style. It's a teaching system. Elio and his son, Jorion, actually came up with a way that he believed was best for beginners to learn jiu-jitsu. You know, most instructors just randomly just pick stuff out of the air with no rhyme or reason. A lot of times they just don't even have a clue what they're doing or how to do it. Well, they had a systematic approach to teaching jiu-jitsu to, to people for that first year in particular, that really critical year. So I was very privy. I was very privileged to learn that system. And uh, one, of the, one of the major requirements was, of course, the emphasis on the, being able to defend yourself in realistic situations, not just sitting down on your butt in half guard. <laughs> Not going to work so good in the parking lot outside the <laughs> outside the nightclub, man. Yeah, you know, it's good to back yourself up. Now, I do talk to a lot of young guys. They just love doing the sport. They could care less, you know, about you know the self defense part of it. They feel like, you know, most of them are pacifist and you know peaceful guys. I respect that. I, I do, but I, I still say it doesn't hurt to back yourself up. Why not know it? It's part of the original art. Why just learn part of it, you know? Why not learn all of it? Yeah. All the classic throws, all the classic takedowns. And basically it has the classic takedowns of wrestling and the classic throws of judo. It's all in there. It's yeah. all part of the, the thing. And it's really good. It's really quite effective. It's really well developed. And it's very complete. And you wouldn't really need to, you know, a lot of guys are into the MMA scene now. And they think that the Muay Thai is going to be their stand-up self-defense. Not if you're facing, you know, some monster guy, man. You know, I was just at Crow Cop's house. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really popular in Croatia. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, uh, I got a chance to go over to, uh, uh, Marco's house and check out his home gym and talk training with him. Wow. What a setup this guy has. He has a complete UFC cage, uh, a, a jujitsu mat big enough probably to hold like 20 people. Uh, a really nice little weight room. Although he tells me now he's 100% into body weight training. He doesn't use weights anymore. He feels uh, he gets everything he needs uh, for his MMA with the with the uh, with the body weight. He showed me some of the things he does, and uh, he also he does some lifting. But you know, speaking of sports specific, he, he does uh, lifts with his uh, partner's body weight. Oh, okay. He, he, yeah, yeah. He'll he'll actually uh, do uh, very specific lifting with his partner. Right now, he's training with a guy from Japan who was Olympic gold medalist in judo. He 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 told me the guy's name, and I, I'm sorry that I just went right out of my head. Anyway, he's training this guy for um, some MMA fights in uh, Japan. Uh, he said this judo guy's just unbelievable on his feet. And uh, but anyway, he's been doing. He showed me some of his uh, partner lifting drills and his body weight training. And I'm a pretty big advocate of the body weight training myself, uh, especially since I travel full time. I'm on the road. It's just very convenient. Yeah, and and I do want to get into a little bit of your your traveling here in a little bit. But 
the body weight versus the uh, you know hitting the weights and actual machines or equipment uh, exercises. So you're you're starting to lean more towards the body weight stuff, or it just depends on the oh, person. Only, what their only goals because are. I don't have any equipment. Because I'm in a different city every couple of weeks, you know. Uh, I think I've been in five different hotels in the, about the last uh, ten days. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, not like where am I? Where's that bathroom, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, feeling around in the dark, bumping your head. But <laughs> so. You know, it really ultimately doesn't matter. As long as you're taxing your muscles against some form of resistance, it could be rubber bands. It could be your own body weight. Uh, it could be barbells. It could be kettlebells. It could be dumbbells. It could be sandbags. It could be lifting your partner. It just doesn't matter as long as you're taxing the muscles and making them work. But you want to do it in a safe, progressive manner that is not weakening your tissues or causing any type of damage, microtrauma to the joints, microtrauma to the connective tissue. That's why, especially as you get older, I'm a big advocate of slow, high-tension, controlled repetition training. As a man gets older, form and technique become even more important for injury prevention. Now, can you use shitty form and still get results? Of course. You see it all the time. You see YouTube wonders with amazing physiques throwing the weights around, you know, doing really fast, explosive reps, uh, you know, half reps, not even full range reps. And, you know, they're muscular marvels. But for every guy that does a training like that, you know, there's like a thousand guys that have crashed and burned, got his joints injured, microtrauma to the shoulder, osteoarthritis in the hips and the knees and and elbows and shoulders. And I'm saying, why not just slow it down? Stop being concerned about how many reps and how much weight. Go for time under load and just use a really safe, sane, sensible way of training. You know, jujitsu can be traumatic enough. You don't need to make your workout yeah. traumatic on top of that. And, you know, a lot of times you don't feel the damage that you're doing, but you're creating a lot of micro trauma in the body. And over time, you know, it erodes joint health. So that a lot of these guys have started young. By the time they're in their 40s, they're done, man. They're just so damaged. I've seen it. So many guys. They'll get to brown belt or whatever, and their backs will be freaking killing them. All sorts of disc problems, hip problems. Young guys, you know, looking at hip or knee replacement surgery. I mean, this is a terrible thing. A lot of that could be prevented by using sensible training methods. I, I, I truly believe that, you know, and, and doing this fast, explosive time. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying that it causes a lot of micro trauma over time. What do you mean by sensible training methods? Are you talking about actually... Uh, Slow, high-tension reps. Okay. No, How about... Know, anything faster than 1,001, 1,002 is using momentum. Okay. And that's slow for a lot of guys. A lot of guys go boom, 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 you know, just knocking out. I'll give you an example. Uh, I took a client to a gym in London, right? At, uh, it was like a box, you know, like uh, it wasn't CrossFit, but it was like a similar type of gym, you know? Yeah. So-called functional training. <laughs> and uh, I watched this guy do 20 pull-ups, which is pretty impressive, right? 20 pull-ups. But he was really whipping it. Now, he wasn't kipping. But he was using a lot of momentum. And it was about one second up, one second down. And he was yanking his joints pretty good. But he was, he was a built dude. 
And, uh, you know, figure one second on the positive, one second on the negative. It's two seconds per rep. It's about the speed he was going. That's about 40 seconds time under load. Well, I had my guy do four seconds up, a two-second hold and really squeeze, you know, to milk the biceps at the top and milk the back, really work the fibers, and then four seconds down. That's 10 seconds per rep. My guy did six reps. That's 60 seconds time under load. Now, we know that time under tension or time under load is one of the single most important factors in strength and hypertrophy. So my guy, even though he only did six reps, actually got a much better workout than the guy that whipped out the 20. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And my and, and, and the guy I was training, it was much safer, way easier. He wasn't yoinking his shoulders, man. You know, we were really taking care because he actually had had a shoulder injury. So we were keeping the lats packed and, you know, we were, we were being really careful about, uh, you know, when you change from positive to negative at the bottom, it's called a turnaround, the lower turnaround. You turn around, uh, his turnarounds, we were being really careful on the turnarounds, not to create a lot of joint trauma. And at the top, the top turnaround, he was actually holding for a contraction at the top. So his goal was to create muscular fatigue, not to just see how many reps he could do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. He, the goal was different. The goal was to work the, uh, the, the involved muscle structures in a safe way. The guy doing the 20 reps just wanted to, you know, <laughs> just see how many reps he could do. You he know, wanted his, to do 20 pull-ups, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his thing was the ego. But what does it really mean? You know, the time under tension was greater for the slower reps. The guy was actually on the bar longer, working longer. So he was actually performing more work. You see? Yeah. And so that, I mean, kind of the way I'm hearing it, the time under load is, would be beneficial for basically anybody. It's a better workout. It's easier on anybody. And, you know, for a lot of guys that are injured, you see, you have two, two different types of jujitsu guys. You have guys that started really young that have been doing it for years and years and years. And many of them are ravaged by the time they get to the 40s and end up quitting. I've seen it so many times. Neck, back, usually disc problems, but a lot of hips and knees. And a lot of that wasn't even due to the jiu-jitsu. It was this kind of strength training they're doing in, you know, along with the jiu-jitsu. But it was also the jujitsu, you know. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, we're we're basically, you know, how do we how do we play jujitsu? Well, we bend and twist and pretzelize each other, and and wring each other's joints until either you cry out in pain or tap, or you choke each other into unconsciousness. And try to explain that to somebody that doesn't understand what it's about. They they, they look at you like what? You do what? You know, they think you're insane, right? But, yeah. you know, they have no idea how much fun that can be. <laughs> or, or, or the mental chess match involved in bringing a person to that position. Yeah. But well, anyway, my, my point is some people start from an early age. They play this really tough game and they get themselves all messed up and screwed up and then they're done. It's just the way they train. You know, they, they go after each other like wild dogs. Then you have the other group that started really late in life. You know, they just got attracted to it. And, you know, a lot of them are having like a little midlife life crisis or they're just bored and they're just looking for something to do. And they think, you know, I might try this jujitsu stuff. So they come in a little bit later, you know, like maybe in their 40s or 50s. And initially they'll get great, you know, uh, results from jujitsu from a fitness point of view. But that will soon go away 
if they too train like, you know, like these younger guys, if they, you know, if they're always making every practice like a, like a match and using power and, you know, a lot of, a lot of clubs, I'm sure you've visited some, they, they basically train like a pack of wild dogs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and if you're, and if you're visiting and you're not part of their group, they'll try to make you, you know, they try to prove that your jujitsu sucks, basically. <laughs> Look how better we are than you. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's a common thing in jiu-jitsu. You get that little rivalry thing going. Oh, you're not from our group? Oh, you don't train with, 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 uh, with our, with our, our group? Well, you know, our master is so and so. And then they try to prove, you know, just how crappy your jiu-jitsu is and how great theirs is. I want to. You'll never, you'll never win in that game, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, has that, but did, but did you get my point though? Yeah. The idea is, you know, jiu-jitsu is traumatic enough, but if you add to it weight training or straight training with poor form and poor technique, you will get away with it for a while. And you may even get good results as far as hypertrophy and a nice, you know, buff physique. But over time, you get that terrible joint erosion and all sorts of disc problems and cartilage problems, osteoarthritis, you know, tendinosis, tendinitis. I mean, all sorts of inflammatory stuff. And, you know, for a lot of guys, it's their only outlet. I mean, it's their real joy. They just can't wait to get out of work and get to the club. But the problem is they want to do it too often. That's the other mistake. They, they train too often, too hard, too often. And they end up with overuse injuries, trauma, inflammation, you know. And so it's really important that you get those rest days in between. You've got to recuperate. The magic of training doesn't happen training. The magic happens in between the training during rest. And if you're short-changing the rest, you are going to really compromise your results and probably end up in a lot of pain. But go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, You've been trying I, to ask I, me a question <laughs> for like three minutes, uh, and I keep going on and on. Sorry. Like I don't even know where to go because I, there's so many things I want to ask you that there's a follow-up here. Keep um, asking, man. Uh, the, I'm, I'm here. A, a quick um, – you said you get that kind of the wolf mentality of, of some gems. They want to really prove themselves to you and, and really make sure that you know that they're the best or, or they're just better. Has that changed over the years? Is that are, are, are most jiu-jitsu gyms more welcoming to strangers and guests than they were 10 years ago? Or is that still pretty much uh, the way it's been? Uh, it's, still pre- it's still pretty much the okay. way it is. Remember, there's a lot of people that jiu-jitsu is still new. Like you go to China. You know, where jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is kind of new. Yeah. Uh, they're still very competitive over there, wanting to prove. And plus, because it is a new martial art, they get a lot of doubters and naysayers. So there's that element in it. Okay. But it all depends. On, it really goes back to the instructor, the professor. The yeah. Teacher. I guarantee if you go to the Gracie Academy, where Henner, Gracie, Hira and Gracie are running the show, you will not run into that at all. Yeah. They are the really nice training. And there's other schools around the nation, you know, where when you go in, you're respected, you're treated well as a guest. I mean, when I was an instructor, I was always welcoming to any stranger. I wanted them to join. I didn't want to beat them up so that they would go away. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a potential customer. Now, if the guy came in and he was a real cocky kind of guy and real arrogant, there would be the temptation to maybe teach the guy a bit of a lesson. 
Well, but I mean, if he was if he was a decent person and he was just coming in and he wanted to get a nice little workout and get a good sweat, a nice roll, far be it from me to give the guy anything other than just a fantastic experience. And I'd even go out of my way to make sure he got good, safe trading partners. But if the guy came across like a bit of a prick, well, he was going to get some really tough guys. I would put some of my monsters against that guy. And every gym has their monsters, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Your designated hitman. Well, he would, he would have a little meeting with one of the hitmen for sure. So to your listeners out there, when you go to a strange gym, comport yourself with the utmost humility and be very deferential to the instructor. Ask permission to come on the mat. Ask permission to leave the mat. You know, be, be really respectful of the guys. I even recommend, especially if you're a lower rank, go ahead and tap a bunch of times. Let yourself be tapped. Let the guys catch you. And then they don't feel threatened anymore. And then as you get to know these people, then you can start to play a little bit more of your game. But don't play your A game right out. Don't go after people. Go ahead. Don't, 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 don't be so egotistical. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a good way to calm the situation down, especially if you're like a like a blue belt or definitely if you're a white belt. Don't go in there all guns blazing and try to make a show. You're, you're not going to win that situation and you, you may get hurt. So go in there and, and you know, and, and just be really calm and easy going and you'll have a good time. People will actually like you as a result of it. And then as they get to know you and you start to play advance your game a little bit then but at that point they will have accepted you you know yeah you don't have to i don't know if hold back is the right term that i when i travel but i uh, you know have make sure we're having fun and uh one of the things i do a lot of times is i'll just kind of give up give them sight control and see what they do and then they in my mind anyway they think okay he's not trying to kill me uh you know we're just we're just grappling here because when you do travel Especially like as a if you're a blue belt, all those other blue belts want to kind of see how they stack up against this other blue belt, and so it does become exhausting. Even if they're all nice people, they they're all giving themselves a little mini test, and that test is you. And as you go from round to round to round, it adds up, and and they're watching. Yeah, and they're, they're treating it like a match, like a contest. And you may just you may be tired, you may have jet lag, you may not be feeling so good. Maybe you didn't get your normal coffee. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. you know, traveling can be really exhausting. And so, well, the other the other thing too, especially for your older guys, like you know, I'm 64, but I look, I mean, I, I look pretty young for my age. I, I mean, agree. A lot of yeah. Mistake, they mistake me for being younger, and you know, they don't see like they they just see you know uh, uh, a you know uh, a black belt, fifth degree black belt. They're thinking, oh well, you know, this guy's a black belt. When I was a blue belt, I thought black belts walked on water. But, you know, it's just simply not true. And, you know, sometimes you have a target on your back. If you're like a purple belt with a couple of degrees, brown, black belt, to a strange school, you got to be really careful because guys kind of come gunning for you. And they just make this assumption that because you're a black belt, you're like, you know, bulletproof or something. I know I certainly had that concept. I remember – you know, Hoist one time really admonishing me for going so hard. And, you know, I, I, I used to just be really rough. And man, he, one time he, he really took me to task for it and pretty much kicked my butt for 10 minutes straight. Just crushed me. 
He says, how's that feel? He says, that's the way you wrestle, especially these other guys. You like it? You think anyone's going to come back if you, <laughs> if you train like that? He says, John, you know, you, you try that with me. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And it was like, wow. I, my feelings were so hurt because yeah. I thought, I thought the guy was invincible. You know what I mean? It was really funny. I, I was like, in those days, I was, I had wrestler jits, you know, I came up coming from an NCAA. Yeah. Uh, Wrestling background. I wrestled Division One program. I was a pretty decent wrestler, and you know I'm, I'm grabbing at, uh, at hoist, you know, like with a lot of just kind of rude gripping, you know, like judo guys do this too sometimes. And he says, "Wait, stop." He says, "This is the gi. This is my skin. This is cloth, and this is skin. Cloth doesn't hurt, but my skin hurts. Now stop grabbing my skin." He says, "You do it again." And there's going to be some problems. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Uh, you really? don't have I, 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 Well, I just didn't even realize what I was doing. I was yeah. like a bull in a china shop. I didn't even know what I didn't know. You know, I was like a blue belt. And, you know, but then I was grinding heads with him. He wrestles grind heads. I don't know why. You kind of put your forehead in there. He says, stop. He says, see my face? It looks pretty good. Look <laughs> at your ears. They're all cauliflower. Yeah. You see? It's unnecessary. Why are you grinding your head? It's just so unnecessary. And he says, don't do it again. Yeah. And then that, at that point, then uh, he just lost his patience. And he says, okay, these next 10 minutes are going to be the most terrifying <laughs> of your life. And he looked up at the clock. It was like 10 minutes left in our private lesson. So they're going to be the most terrifying of your life. And I swear to God, he, he just would squeeze me. He wouldn't let me tap either. He'd just take me to the breaking point of chokes and uh, I mean, he just put me in every just nasty position you can think of and just wrung me out. He, he, as a matter of fact, it was such a beating that and he, he, he never struck me. He just used your jiu-jitsu. Uh, I actually, my, my immune system broke down. I got the flu the next day. Wow. <laughs> but I, it was such a lesson because he's basically showing me what I was doing to other guys. Yeah. And I was just unconscious. But see, so many of these younger guys, these newer guys, they don't realize that they're using power and strength and doing unnecessary rude stuff. They just don't get it. And it's up to the senior members of the, the school or the club to teach these young guys. You know, there is a decorum. It is unnecessary. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to, like, you know, use all this, you know, crazy power and herky-jerky movements and spaz out and, you know, all that excessive gripping and grabbing and grinding foreheads and you know digging your elbows in people's thighs to break your guard. This is this this it's not fun. It takes all the fun out of it. It's not a fight. It's supposed to be chess. And your career won't last long if you train like that. And some guys, every time they go to practice, it's like a freaking tournament. And they're not gonna last long. You just can't sustain that. It's unsustainable. You cannot. You will break down. Your body will break down. You'll start to get overuse injuries. Uh, you'll develop all sorts of muscle imbalances. And, you know, before long, you just have to quit. You'll, you'll have to quit your, you know, the thing that you like doing most. But it's unnecessary. You can continue. Like I said, I, I still get in the mat. I wrestled with my black belt, Scott, today out of the sand on the beach. It was so much fun. We played. When I go to Maui Jiu-Jitsu, by the way, I recommend Maui Jiu-Jitsu and Luis Heredia. One of the greatest teachers ever. One of the most chill jujitsu schools you'll ever go. His head instructor, Joel, and, uh, uh, he has another black belt, uh, who actually happens to be my, my web guy, uh, Chris Crook. 
oh, so much fun to train with those guys. They are technicians and tricky, and it's so much fun to play chess with those guys. And that's the kind of school that I like to go to. That's the kind of atmosphere that I like. You know, it's really, and they, you know, they have the killers. But you know, you you very quickly learn which guys to train with, which guys not to train with, which guys go hard, which guys like to play. Yeah, it sounds like you're having uh, a great time with your training. Um, looking back, it takes uh, a wise instructor or training partner to tell you, you know, hey, you're you're really roughing me up for no reason. Not that because it, you you don't also want to say I can't take that. But just say, hey, you're not, you're being a little bit rude here with the way you're grappling. Opposed to, I think the way a lot of people do it is they just smash them and don't tell them. Like this guy needs yeah. to get that hard roll. You need to tell him. Yeah, you got to tell him. How you to alter your behavior? Just doing the same thing back. You know, it's like a parent. You know, using corporal punishment, right? To punish the child. What do you think that child's going to grow up doing? He's going to uh, end up thinking that you 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 punish someone by by hitting them, right? It, it doesn't teach you a lesson. It just, you know, all it does is makes you resentful or fearful, you know? Some guys will get, take a beating like that from the senior belt, not even know why they're getting the beating. They didn't even know that they're being rude. Yeah. They didn't even know that they're using power. They didn't know until, you know, it needs to be explained. But I'm finding that this is left out in a lot of schools. The, the senior members, it's up to them to, to tell the junior members, the white bouts, the blue bouts, even some purple bouts. They need to be told. Now, some guys just never get it, no matter how much you tell them. And, you know, for me personally, I just avoid those guys. You know, yeah. It's no fun training with those guys. It's not a street fight. Yeah. It's and, not a street fight. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's meant to be a game. If you're doing it recreational for a game, and of course, you know, once again, you know, we have a lot of different kinds of jiu-jitsu these days. We have MMA jiu-jitsu, right, which is a very specific jiu-jitsu for the sport of mixed martial arts. And if you're doing MMA jiu-jitsu, you should be training most of the time with gloves on because that's how the way you play your sport. So you should be training a mix of punching and, you know, wrestling, obviously. And clinching, and you need you, on the ground. You need to wear your gloves. So MMA jiu-jitsu is very specific. Referee is going to break you if there's no action. All you have to do is stall on the bottom to bring the fight back up to the feet. And you need to be pretty damn good at takedowns to put the other guy on the ground. And then you know you have your sports jiu-jitsu, which the IFBJJ is the most well known. But you know there's other organizations out there that uh, are trying to promote. Uh, different types of roles. I really like, you know, Hicks and Gracie just announced his global federation tournament schedule. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah, and, and here on uh, Gracie, they also have a uh, a uh, like a, a no time limit, not a no time limit. I think it's like twenty minute matches or something. Uh, you know, no points type deal. Uh, Eddie Bravo had his really awesome tournament just recently. So there's a movement towards getting away from these five, six minute matches, uh, matches and, you know, this crazy 50 50 barambolo holding sleeves, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. 
there's the people that are trying to get away from the the uh, this, this point system and go towards uh, a, a different type of jujitsu. And then, of course, you have your um, you're just your recreational rollers that are just in it for the pure joy and fun. They could care less about how many points or whether you pass my guard or you know. You know, two points about my knee in your belly. You know, it's like, so what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, it's, me. yeah, that's the vast majority, I think, of the grappling community is just here to have, we're here to have fun. We might have came to the mats for a different reason, self-defense or to try to compete or to do different things. But it, long term, most of us stick around because it's fun and, and, and that's where our friends are going to be on the mats. And uh, the self-defense now is interesting because the Valencia brothers in Miami, they were the last guys to get black belts directly from Master Elio Gracie. Uh, they wear navy blue belts out of protest, by the way. They, uh, you know, they're, they're Master Elio Gracie believed that the modern sport jiu-jitsu is the anti-jiu-jitsu because of the reliance on power and strength and conditioning. He just called it a form of jacket wrestling, you know, wrestling with jackets on. And uh, he, uh, as a result, started wearing a blue belt. He also didn't like the fact that there was all these guys running around the black belt that didn't even know the slightest thing about street defense. They couldn't even defend themselves in any kind of realistic encounter. And so he, he felt that was a travesty. And he wore the blue belt. So the Valencia brothers continued that tradition of wearing the navy blue belt. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But anyway, they, 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 uh, uh, Hoist wears a navy blue belt also as a result. You know, it was just kind of to protest a lot of the, you know, black belts out there of dubious, you know, uh, lineage who knows zero self defense. And if there's any black belts listening, I look, I'm not denigrating your achievements in the sports arena. I'm just saying, why not know the whole art? I mean, it doesn't really take all that much, especially at your level, to learn the basic self-defense. Why not? It could be a dangerous world out there. Yeah. And it certainly is a handy thing to know. You know? And you you never know. I mean, I avoid confrontations at all costs. I'm very good at running away. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but hey. You know, I could defend myself and my loved ones yeah. and my family if necessary. I could. I won't want to, but I could. And I would be very effective at it. And the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu self-defense is extremely effective martial art. And it could save someone's life. You never know. I mean, with all this, you know, I fly a lot. You read every day about this crazy shit happening on the airlines, man. I'm ready to jump up and aid the stewardess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Duct tape a guy to a seat if necessary. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm not denigrating, but they're having self-defense tournaments now, which is, I think, so cool. So for people that are, uh, you know, let's say you're a world famous hand surgeon and you cannot run the risk of injuring your fingers or you're an oral surgeon. And you make your living, you know, doing uh, oral surgery on people and or you're a pianist or a violinist or you're a sculptor or yeah. a painter or an artist and your hands are your living. But that's just one example. But, you know, you know, maybe you're just a guy that just can't afford to get injured, doesn't want to get injured. Well, they have these self-defense seminars where you can demonstrate your effectiveness against attackers. And it works. They'll have like, you know, high level, uh, black belt attack you. And they know 
exactly what you're doing so they can protect themselves so they don't get hurt you know when you when you do the self-defense and they'll come at you with a gun or a knife or they'll grab your throat or they'll grab you at the lapels of your jacket or sneak up behind and grab you around in a bear hug or grabbing a rear choke and then you instantly have to uh counter with the appropriate self-defense technique and they there's a panel of judges that judge you on the effectiveness of your defense and that's so cool man that, that that opens up a whole new door for many people that would be a little shy by you know going into an arena with five thousand screaming fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 they. Uh, I just think it's really cool, and it gives people a, a chance to showcase the street effectiveness of 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 uh, jujitsu. It can be really good. So yeah, I, and I that like saves. It. So Hicks, Hickson's doing it. The Blanchies have been doing it. There's some other people that have been doing it. So I, I like it. I, I think it's a, a great step forward for the jiu-jitsu community. It just gives one more avenue for people to, you know, kind of wet their competitive nature, but in a very safe uh, kind of controlled manner. Especially good for uh, people that are not super fit and or uh, can't afford injuries or even even the elderly guy, you know. That yeah. Just, you know, I was just thinking the other day. It might be kind of fun to wrestle in one of these tournaments again, you know? Yeah. I haven't competed for a while, but, you know, I'd have to give up 15 years. The oldest wage group they have is like 50. (laughs) So, you know, there's a formula for, you know, there's a lot of older Americans now, but Europeans too, getting into the game. And um, there's a formula that Hiroi came up with I thought was just brilliant. You know, because you you can't take a fifty year old guy and compare him to like a twenty year old guy. There's just no way. Yeah, it's completely unfit. You know, no matter how good the guy is at fifty, it's still going to be fifty year old shit, right? So, here gave the story of one of the instructors who was older. I think he was in his fifties, and he was really kind of disconsolate because some big, strong, young blue bug gave him a really hard time during the sparring. And Hiran says to this guy, well, you shouldn't be feeling bad at all. The guy was like, you know, 30 pounds heavier and like, you know, 20, no, 30 years younger. That, for every 10 pounds in every 10 years, that's like a belt. So even if the guy was like a white belt, but, you know, he's like 30 pounds heavier than you and 30 years younger, it's almost as if you're facing a black belt. Now, he may not have the skill level of a black belt. But with his size and his strength and his youth and his athleticism and all that, it's going to un—it's going to un—balance uh, out your skill set. In other words, yeah, you—you still, you know, if you can hold your own, that's a huge tribute to jujitsu. That's an amazing thing that you can have a guy that's thirty years younger and thirty pounds heavier, and you can just go even with the guy. What other martial art can you do that with? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, don't know. There aren't any that I know of. You know, I mean, okay, maybe some punches and kickers could outslick a guy that doesn't yeah. have any training at all. But, I mean, for the most part, though, you know, size and strength do matter. In the animal kingdom, especially, the bigger, stronger animal, you know, is, is, is the one that wins. The one that gets the mate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... In the, in the, in the jujitsu world, size and strength matters. We're, we're realists. We know that. You know, a big, strong guy can undo a lot of your technique. 
But if you're an older guy, don't think about beating these kids. Just think about going even and not getting caught. You're, you're, that's a huge victory into itself. And if you do trick a, a younger guy and you catch him, wow, that's huge. I don't know too many martial arts like that that would allow a smaller, weaker, you know, guy, uh, an older person that you could still hang in there with young guys. I just don't know any other martial art like it. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, Certainly uh, not kicking and punching. <laughs> well, you always, and I'm not uh, skilled at all with kicking and punching, but, uh, you know, you always get that uh, chance of getting hit, you know, and if you're able to get into a good position uh, and we're just grappling, you know, you, you, you're not going to take that damage to your body or your brain uh, just at one you know, one instant where, you know, you dropped your left hand a little bit and you got clocked with it. And it hurts a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to yeah. get hit. And, you know, jiu-jitsu, you know, you can always tap. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you might get home sore and you can get stiff and you might get, you know, uh, 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 an injury here and there. I mean, you can't play a sport like jiu-jitsu and not expect to get hurt. Yeah. That's pretty unrealistic. You're going to get hurt. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. But you try to minimize that, and you minimize that through your training, yeah. your, your supplementary training, by strengthening all the, the, the your, your major joints and muscles, and strengthen the connective tissue and the tendons and so forth. You, you can you can lessen your chance of being hurt. That's why I say your training should be very very safe. Your supplemental training, and you know it's not always about using the muscles that you use. A lot of times, a good supplementary training is using all the muscles you don't use to create balance in the joint. I noticed that many jiu-jitsu guys have forward head and kyphosis. You know what I mean by forward head? The head kind of sticks forward when they yeah. stand up and their upper back is rounded. You know, like when they enter the room, their head enters like two seconds before the rest of their body. <laughs> then yeah. You want to avoid that. <laughs> so, yeah, posture drills. Uh, anything that keeps the spine mobile. Uh, you need plenty of spinal extension because in jiu-jitsu, especially people that play a lot of guard, the spine is in forward flexion all the time, which can yeah. wreak hell on the on the vertebrae and the discs. Uh, you, you cannot allow people to stack you up. If you have an umaplata, a triangle, an arm lock, or even just someone uh, using a stack pass to pass your guard – let the guy pass. Yes. Let go of the freaking hole. Yeah. Don't be an idiot and get jacked up on your neck out of stubbornness. I can't tell you how many slipped discs and injured uh, spine injuries. And it may not happen, like, you know, uh, until – I mean, it's, sometimes it's not like this acute injury. But it's like a buildup over time where your back just keeps getting sore and sore and sore. So eventually you're just in so much pain you can barely move. But with your supplementary training, you can make up for a lot of the uh, a lot of the movements that you do in jiu-jitsu. You, sometimes you need to do counter movements. So I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, extension of the spine, spinal extension, neck extension, uh, thoracic and lumbar uh, mobility drills, and, and so forth. You know, you gotta stretch out those hip flexors. You got to make sure that hip flexors aren't overly tight. Uh, a lot of jujitsu guys, their glutes are very, uh, almost dysfunctional, really. They're, you know, they're, they're, it's almost like they suffer a form of gluteal amnesia because you don't use your butt a lot. Huh. But it's the biggest, it, well, not in jujitsu, yeah. unless, 
unless you're doing a lot of throws and takedowns, of course. But uh, you definitely need to do some glute training to help, you know, relieve pressure on the back and to balance out those hip flexors and keep a balance of, you know, your back, uh, hamstrings, hip flexors, and adductors so that you, you have a good balance of strength. And I noticed that for a lot of, uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys suffering back pain, their glutes aren't firing. They don't use their butt. So, you know, they need to learn how to use their butt. I like the hip thrust exercise and, uh, uh, hinging style deadlifts really excellent for that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, good mornings. Uh, full squats. If you're really strong, you know, one-legged pistol squats could be a really good balance for that kind of stuff. Huh. Hadn't really thought that, uh, you know, the, the the butt wasn't really getting used while you're grappling. But uh, yeah, you got to get your got to get your rear in gear. And uh, like you yeah, said, well, yeah, that whole posterior chain it, it yeah. isn't developed like the anterior chain. So you know, most guys have pretty strong abs and, and hip flexors. And adductors, but you know, they're uh, AB ductors, the abductors, the, the glutes, the uh, rectus spinae muscles, and hamstrings are a lot of times uh, not uh, not well balanced with the rest of the core. And so it's really important. Uh, rear shoulders, uh, the, um, the rhomboids of the, in the upper uh, spine, uh, the neck a lot of times. A lot of guys neglect neck training. Really important to keep your neck nice and strong. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't take that much time. It really doesn't. You're not training to be a bodybuilder. You're not training to be a powerlifter. So you don't need a lot of sets. You don't need a lot of even heavy weight. You know, you need a moderate weight and, you know, uh, one or two good sets really done to, to, uh, exhaustion. It's good. And you don't even need to train that often. I have a lot of guys, you know, that hit the gym a lot, um, uh, with uh, jiu-jitsu, you know, they go to the academy a lot. They're, they're, they're doing fine with one workout a week, one strength training workout a week. And if you're going to the academy uh, several times a week, you probably, I, this is going to sound like heresy to some guys, but like two weekly trainings would be the max. You're just going to burn out and get really tired. You're just going to overtrain. And in many cases, even once a week is enough. That's not to say that you don't warm up and do mobility drills and stuff every day. And you know, you can, you know, if you like yoga and you like to stretch out and stuff, you can you can do that every single day. But uh, you don't you don't need to go into the gym a lot. You're not a strength specialist. You're not a strength athlete. You're just trying to balance out the body and and and, and yeah, you know, become a technical athlete. And, and, and remember, jiu-jitsu is a form of strength training. It's a form of resistance training. So every day is a strength training. Every day you go into jiu-jitsu, you're using your muscles against resistance. And a lot of jiu-jitsu guys really over-grip. They just grip so much. Uh, a fantastic exercise is uh, placing a rubber band around the fingernails and opening the fingers out and extending the wrist back. That relieves a lot of pain in the fingers and the wrist and so forth. So just a fantastic drill. Uh, reverse wrist curls where you're working the top part of the forearms instead of the flexors can really help balance out those elbows and fingers and wrists. So I, I see a lot of guys with a lot of chronic inflammation and pain from overusing their hands. Oh, yeah. you know, just gripping yeah. too much.
really good, really good jujitsu guys, they, they don't grip all the time. They don't, they don't rely on their grips that much. Like Solo used to say, I don't rely on my grips. My no-gi game is the same as my gi game. And he used to have the saying, it's not the grips, it's the hips. <laughs> it's all about hip control and where controlling your opponent's hips and, and keeping your hips free. Trying yes. to over grip and grab and hold, you know, that's, that's, that's not particularly good jujitsu. But be that as it may, uh, it's going to run, ha- run havoc with your fingers. So many guys have arthritis in their hands and the wrists and their fingers. E- even guys in their 30s are always suffering terrible inflammatory issues. So don't grip so much. You don't need to. Some of the best players I ever met, they don't use, they don't depend on grips. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll open palm it a lot. They will grip, but you know, it's not, there's, their game isn't dependent on grips. Yeah. I, I'll, some, some, I, some guys just latch on and they just hang off yeah. the gear lot and then their hands are fried and they wonder why their fingers are killing them. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, you only get two hands and you see somebody load up with their foot ready to kick your grip out. Let it go. I mean, let them, let it go, yeah. idiot. Their foot is stronger than your hand. And even <laughs> their if your leg you're, is going to beat your yeah, arm. Even if even if your hand, if you maintain the grip, you still dumped a ton of energy into your into your hand and your fingers, and and that adds up over time. Like you're saying, you you could be in your thirties and have hand problems. And that's the problem. You say that they over rely on the grip, but it's unnecessary. Yeah. Move on, you know. While he's kicking yeah. that leg, drag the leg and do a leg. You know, there's a lot yeah, of different options to do. Change up, man. You know, you got to be really <laughs> flow. That's the flow, right? The yeah. flow we talk about in jujitsu. But you know, a lot of the younger guys they don't have the flow yet. But you know, hopefully by listening to this podcast and other podcasts like it, they'll start to become more aware that ah, oh, there's a higher level game that you can play. You don't have to just latch onto their sleeves or. You know, or yeah. those pant legs or whatever, or grab that collar. You know, there's ways that you can do it without, you know, like ruining your hands. Yeah. Over time. And of course, if you're somebody who grips, you know, and and doesn't and just refuses to let go until it's actually destroyed, you're going to have a little bit of a setback in your training process, and you might not have the same results you've had rolling with the same, you know, blue belt or pro belt. You you might do a little worse for a little while, but in the long run, you're going to be on the mat longer, and you're gonna you're gonna have more success with your grappling, and uh, you'll find ways exactly. around it. Well, it's like any time you go to a seminar, right, or a workshop, or whatever. And you're trying to incorporate new techniques in your game. Well, you're not real good at that at first. And yeah, your game suffers. Sometimes you get worse before you get better, which is as you said, you, you know, so your game will go down. So anytime you start to change or play with new ideas and new things, expect, you know, it to backfire because you won't have the timing and the precision and so forth. But, you know, keep working on it, keep working on it. It'll get better and better and better. But you'll actually end up being much healthier for it in the long run. Because after all, health is number one. Listen, no one ever said that competition jiu-jitsu is healthy. As a matter of fact, as soon as you take any activity and you put a competitive element to it, a lot of the health benefit just goes right out the window. Pretty wow. much. That, that's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a quote right there that, is, that this says so much about what happens to athletes, what happens to competitors, and what happens to people who incorporate uh, fitness into a lifestyle and, and enjoy many, many years of, 
of uh, you know fitness and and healthy living uh, about uh, you know competing and how the, sometimes that will take it out of the realm of being healthy. And I'm not telling guys you know don't compete. Yeah, or yeah. Don't do anything. I certainly did. I'm just saying keep it in perspective and realize what does it really mean in the realm of life. You know, is that blue belt gold medal really going to mean that much in 20 or 30 years? <laughs> is it worth sacrificing your health for? Yeah. yeah. Even a black belt world champ is quickly forgotten within five years. You know? Yeah. And all the sacrifices and hard work that, that they did. It, I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment, but yeah, th- there's another world champ next year. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. And there's always going to be somebody younger, stronger. And no matter how good you are, there's always someone better. There's always going to be someone better, no matter how good you are. You're eventually going to be beaten, and you're eventually going to lose, and there's always going to be somebody better. And, you know, you got to get over yourself. Yeah. And it, but in those five years when you know they pass, you're still you. <laughs> you're, you're you still have your body. You still have your health, and and uh, and and those are things that are definitely important to you. So you may feel like the the accomplishments of the past may not be so so easy to to relive or reminisce or you know put them, put them away a little bit. But uh, your health is something that is really important. Another thing that we didn't talk about uh, the last time. Uh, had John uh, was just a healthy diet and getting and getting um, the right foods and and having a having a good diet. I definitely want to bring that up with you. Well, there's you know constant diet wars, and we were talking before the podcast started. We were laughing that diet is actually more emotional with people than actual politics and religion in many cases. <laughs> and I think the reason why is it's very confusing out there with a lot of you know, they talk about fake news, you know, so much these days. There's a lot of misinformation. Yeah. A lot of this misinformation is designed to sell you worthless supplements and worthless, you know, superfoods and all this kind of stuff. It's all money-making scheme. There are no such thing as superfoods, by the way, you know. I remember where SIE, the Brazilian fruit, yeah, was like the big rage, you know. And if you really look at the nutritional breakdown – the good old U.S. plum that you find in, you know, the East Coast U.S., yeah. plain old good – is about the same nutritional profile as SIE. Not a whole lot different. Yet people will pay a lot of money for expensive <laughs> pills and herbs and things like that. So there's no magic bullets. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have everything from the Mediterranean diet to the paleo diet to the macrobiotic diet to the ketogenic diet, you know, and, you know, I think we all can agree we need calories. <laughs> we, we need water. We need fats and proteins. Some people argue that you don't actually even need carbs, but let's say, you know, you, uh, most people uh, enjoy getting some carbs in their diet. And yeah. we also know that if you're fat, you're eating too much. Simple as that. And, you know, then you, you know, there's certain, certain, uh, groups pushing certain diets and you always got to look, you know, follow the money. You know, they'll demonize certain food groups. Oh, the glutens are the, are Satan <laughs> or, or the dairy is the devil. And, but you, you know, you look at these diets and who, who, who's proposing that? Who's saying it? Why are they saying it? 
Uh, is there money involved? Is there supplements involved? And you damn well better believe when there's money and supplements involved, you can pretty much just like just completely turn your mind off to all that kind of nonsense. Because in in reality, uh, it doesn't have to be that complex. If you're basing the majority of your food on fresh fruits in season and fresh vegetables, if you're getting a good leafy green salad every day, along with some you know cooked veggies, and you're getting some fruits every single day in your diet, you're well on your way to have a good good balanced diet. And nice. it, you know, and you do not need an excessive amount of protein. You really, truly do not. I, I think the overeating of protein. Uh, has created a lot of inflammatory response in people. And this idea that you need to be eating every couple hours is insane. You know, you're in a chronic state of digestion all the time. If you think about human body and how we work, we're basically digestive machines. We're just one big digestive machine. And you want to make sure that you get plenty of time between meals so that you can thoroughly digest and assimilate all the nutrients that you're taking in. And if you're overcrowding your nutrition and eating a lot of stuff in one meal, I see these guys do these smoothie bombs. They have like freaking 12 ingredients in their smoothies, <laughs> you know? And they're throwing this damn kale into everything. That's crazy. You know, kale is certainly can be nutritious, but it's virtually indigestible in the raw state. You cannot digest it. Not, not well at all. Huh. It's an abdominal irritant. It can only be digested when it's cooked, thoroughly cooked and broken down. And even then, you know, I don't know who the kale lobbyists were that sold everyone on kale, but there's plenty of other vegetables out there. Just everybody's nutritious as kale. But you'll see people, you know, throwing everything but the kitchen sink into their blender bombs in the morning. If if you're putting more than three ingredients into your smoothie, it's, it's what I call crowded nutrition. You can't digest all that. You know, every time you start mixing a lot of stuff in one meal, your digestion becomes overburdened. And this is what causes a lot of the inflammatory response in people. You get these partially digested protein molecules crossing the gut membrane, going into the bloodstream, and this creates this whole inflammatory response in your body. And, you know, this can lead to, you know, uh, chronic joint pains and, 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 and problems. So just simplify your meals. I follow something similar to the Gracie diet. I follow a food combining diet. I follow the work of Dr. John Tilden, who was a turn of the century American physician who treated people with diet and fasting. I'm a big believer that if you don't feel good, this is your body's signal to stop eating. Trying to eat when you feel sick is crazy. You don't find animals in nature eating when they're sick. Just stop eating. Just drink water, lie in a darkened room, relax, let your body rest. If you absolutely can't rest in bed, okay, go to like just, you know, some fresh uh, raw fruits. Or if you have a juicer, you know, juice some fruits and, 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 and do it like a little juice fast. For some people, it's a little easier. But this idea of, you know, attempting to eat when you're sick is crazy. And Tilden created uh, some food combining principles I think are really, really good. And it's ironic because, you know, I'm a big fan of Ayurveda. And Ayurvedic medical doctors 5,000 years ago had very similar ideas about food and eating. It's what forms the basis of the yoga philosophy. And the Tilden 
echoing the aerobatic uh, uh, physicians uh, felt that you should keep protein and starches separately and you should make the base of your diet, like I said, fruits and vegetables and get a good raw vegetable salad in you every day along with your protein and keep the starches separate. Starches being, you know, any kind of grain, potatoes, uh, and you know, any kind of bread, cereals, crackers, this this type of stuff. You know, just keep it separate. And if you're fat, you don't need uh, carbohydrate. You know? Let your body dip into the fat source and cut the starches for a couple of months. You'd be amazed how you lean out. Get your carbs from fruit and vegetables. You'll be fine. I've had so many people just drop tons of weight just do, doing those simple process. So for me... Uh, the other thing too is this, this, this American thing of breakfast, you know. Uh, we've been sold a bill of goods about breakfast. Breakfast only became popular within the last hundred years. And it was the product of the cereal companies. Yeah. The bre- you know, they, they needed a market for the grain. So they lobbied and they started selling Americans an idea of, 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 of a breakfast with cereal. Cereal grains for breakfast. But, you know, in Ayurveda medicine, they, they feel two meals a day. Your first meal around midday, your second meal around sunset. I've been following that for quite a while. And, you know, it's interesting because there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of different versions. As you perhaps have heard of intermittent fasting. Martin Birkin, the Swedish uh, fitness model and bodybuilder, strength athlete. He's had unbelievable results with intermittent fasting. Basically, you just push your first meal back. Okay. You know, of course, Ori Hoffmecker with the Warrior Diet, similar thing. He just has people snacking fruits and then has one big chief meal a day. I like to divide my meal into two two meals, a chief meal and the, uh, you know, like usually between 11 and 12. Depends when I get up. If I get up at 5 a.m., which I do often, I'll have my chief meal around 11. If I get up a little bit later, I might push it back to 12 or even 1. And then I'll, five hours later, I'll have my second meal. So today I had, uh, chicken souvlaki on a skewer because I'm in Greece. <laughs> it's fantastic. Big <laughs> chunks of chicken with vegetables on a big skewer. This guy, the skewer was loaded, man. I couldn't even eat it all. And I had a Greek salad without the cheese. I just had a couple olives and tomatoes and cucumbers and leaf lettuce. Uh, all picked out of the guy's garden, by the way, grown right here on the island. Unbelievable. It's, it's all full of the, – the fruits and vegetables are full of solar goodness. Just fantastic. And uh, then I had this beet salad made with beets grown in the own garden. Just absolutely delicious. Beet greens. So I had beets, chicken, and a salad. That was it. And then after I get off the phone, about 30 minutes or so maybe from now – uh, I'm going to have my second meal. I'm going to have some yogurt. I tolerate dairy quite well. I'm going to have some homemade Greek yogurt made right here at the hotel. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm going to have it with natural raw honey. They actually have a beehive up here. And this honey actually has a honeycomb in it. You know, honey was considered a, a medicine. It's med, um, almost medicinal. You can put honey in an open wound, and it works as an antibiotic. And this kind of raw honey. Now, cooked honey is virtually like just eating table sugar, you know. The poison, but raw honey with all the enzymes and all the goodness in it. So I'll have the yogurt with the honey, and then I'm going to have these apricots and plums that grow right off the trees. In fact, they're falling right 
down by my balcony. They had these trees here just loaded with all this fruit, full of solar energy, you know, tree ripened. So I'm going to have some apricots and plums with a honey yogurt. And that's it. That's my whole caloric intake. Sometimes uh, if I get a little hungry or I feel I'll, 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 uh, I'll cut up some oranges or some lemons and suck the lemons or eat the oranges as like a little um, pre-workout fuel. And uh, I like to take baking soda in water. You know, plain old arm and hammer, baking yeah. soda, a teaspoon. Uh, very alkalinizing to the blood. Uh, it helps oxygenation of the tissues. It helps CO2 tolerance. Uh, a lot of people overbreathe, uh, and they, they're very uh, sensitive to CO2 buildup. That's what makes you tired and gasp and, 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 and gasp for air. And uh, I'll have that before I work out sometimes, and it kind of blunts the appetite. Very alkalinizing to the body. Some people swear by apple cider vinegar as an alkalizing agent, but I find the baking soda, just a teaspoon of water when I get up. Now, I, I do drink coffee, by the way. I, do, I drink really delicious, uh, uh, good coffee, you know. Um, I, I get uh, best beans. Uh, we have our own little espresso uh, press, you know. Uh, we'll get fresh ground, organic beans. And uh, I do like to drink my coffee. It is one of the few concessions. Some people, you know, feel that the uh, the caffeine and so forth and some of the irritating compounds in coffee aren't good for you. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I do like that little coffee in the morning. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I have gone off coffee. A good substitute if you're looking to get off coffee, if you feel like you're overdoing. By the way, I only have it in the morning. You know, I'll have like a couple cups and I'm good to go for the rest of the day. But uh, you could use Yerba Mate or uh, some uh, in, Bra- in Brazil they call it Machi, M-A-T-E with that little mark above the E, Machi. They say T-E is Chi or Yerba Mate. Uh, it's a Brazilian herb. It grows in the, the jungle. It has a caffeine-like substance, but it's, it's not as irritating compound as coffee. It's not quite as acidic. By the way, when I drink my coffee, I'll have it with some kind of fat, either uh, some heavy cream or I will have it with uh, – occasionally when I'm in Hawaii, I'll actually have it with coconut water, sweeten it yeah. as a pre-workout as a pre uh, workout fuel, coffee with coconut water. Oh, fantastic. It's nice and sweet. It's really tasty. I might put like a tablespoon of uh, coconut cream in there, you know, just give a little, little fatty fattiness in there. Yeah, so I don't drink, and I don't like alcohol of any type. Uh, certainly, uh, science has shown that like one drink, a glass of wine or a beer, uh, could actually have some health benefits. Uh, I think that's been proven. I, I just don't like it personally. I never did it, just never really enjoyed it. Uh, but certainly, you can do it healthfully. Now, if you're on a fat loss program and you're really trying to lose weight, you should just cut the alcohol for a while. Alcohol basically shuts down the fat burning process. It makes it really hard for your body to access stored body fat. The alcohol does. So I, I recommend if you are obese or really overweight and trying to lose weight, just cut the alcohol for a couple months. If you can't cut it for a couple months, then you've got a serious alcohol problem. You know? Yeah. You should be able to give up anything. I mean, if someone says, "Hey, go off the coffee for three months," I could do it. You know? I mean, no one's going to die for a few months. So, yeah. uh, 
Uh, you said a lot of stuff there. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to comprehend it all. So you really don't uh, eat a breakfast. You drink a coffee with some fat in it, but there's no actual uh, breakfast with that. And then you no, eat. No, I mean you can call it a breakfast because there is some calories involved. Yeah, you know, it's not complete fasting. And so you're exercising. I can't claim. You know, and then I go out and I exercise. Okay. In, in a semi semi fasted state. You know, I might have a not even I don't know like a hundred calories maybe yeah. that in, in the coffee. Is that important and, to have some intake yeah, before you exercise? No, not at all. I like to exercise in a fasted state. It's especially good for older men. Uh, there's some scientific evidence to indicate that it's especially good for your hormonal profiles, especially for guys that are over 60 like my age. But then, you know, it's good to get uh, get a good meal and a good protein meal afterwards. That's why I like to time my workout so I get my chief meal then. Uh, after the workout, okay. uh, I, I've, I've engineered my life that I can uh, pretty much work my own schedule, except when I'm teaching seminars or whatever. You know, I, I, I engineer my life so that I make my living online, what I call a freedom business. I, I do online personal training, diet programs, fat loss programs, conditioning programs for all walks of life. Just, you know, I work with people from bankers, lawyers, uh, housewives. Uh, elderly people, young guys, it doesn't matter. Yeah. One other thing I would like to point out about nutrition, yeah. this is largely overlooked, uh, chewing your food. I see so many young guys literally just bolt their food down. And, you know, you got to chew the food up and take your time and masticate. You'd be amazed at how much less you eat when you really sit there and thoroughly chew the food and mix the saliva Digestion starts in the mouth, and so it's really important to chew that food so you can get those nutrients and you start breaking it down. Now, carbohydrate digestion literally starts in the mouth, so any kind of carbohydrate like fruits or vegetables, uh, if you are having any kind of grain product, you got to chew that stuff and really thoroughly mix it. Mix it, you know, chew it almost to water. Even when you're drinking a smoothie, swish it around in your mouth and thoroughly mix it with, with saliva – before and, and if it's cold, make sure that it's really warm before you swallow it, because you can really impair your digestion by eating too fast, big chunks of food. It makes it very difficult for your body to do its job and assimilate and break the, those nutrients down. And what you'll find is your uh, your sciatic levels will be way higher. You'll find yourself just eating less because you know when you bolt your food down, the apostat that regulatory mechanism in your brain that tells you when you've had enough food, uh, it doesn't catch up. By the time it says, okay, I've had enough, you're bloated, man. You've just eaten way too much. But if you take your time, you put your fork or spoon down between bites, you chew it up, you swallow it. First of all, it's more enjoyable. You get a chance to really savor and enjoy the food. But you give a chance for your brain, those, you know, that little, that little control mechanism in the brain. It gives it a chance to tell you that you're full. But if you bolt the food down, you already have it down before the brain mechanism kicks in. And by that time, it's like, oh, my tummy. God, why did I eat all that? You know? So yeah. chewing is really important. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> it's great having you back on the show. This is so much fun. I'm learning a ton. Uh, I can't believe we didn't really talk about diet last time. Um, uh, reflecting back, you know, in my childhood, you always hear, or I always heard, the most important meal of the day is breakfast. And then what you're saying now is 
that's just marketing. They're just wanting to sell you breakfast food and cereal and that sort of thing. And it all makes sense. That was a fairly recent marketing thing too, by the way. That that was not a tradition. You know? That that started uh the grain lobbies really lobbied. But uh people for for centuries ate very, very little for breakfast, if anything at all. You know, it was a very light little cursory meal. And your body is getting rid of metabolic waste from the night before. And that uh, – it's at its peak operation, you know, this, this, this uh, getting rid of the metabolic waste. Your, your uh, elimination system is in full gear, you know, your, your lymphatic system. Uh, you're breathing out a lot of uh, carbon dioxide, your kidney, your liver, your bowels. You know, everything's being pushed out. And when you have a big meal first thing in the morning, you completely disrupt that elimination process. So you can literally create a toxic environment in your body by this insistence of just you know filling your pie hole constantly all the time, especially these guys that eat every couple of hours. By the way, a, a really good test of how fit you are, you know, people like fitness tests, how many hours can you go without eating? That's a very good test of overall health and fitness. A really fit guy can go a whole day and work a hard day's work without eating at all. If you can't do that, then you're sick. You don't, you're not fit at all. You should be able to go and miss a meal or two meals or even a day of meals and not suffer too much. If you suffer a lot and you get headaches and you get shaky and you have this blood sugar thing going on, you're a sick individual. You do not have good solid health. And it, it predisposes you to getting ill. That means your immune system is impaired as well. It's a good test. Wow. Never. I do fast. I fast all the time. So it's, it's a good test for yourself. And, but the good news is even if you're not particularly good, you within just a few months can really make great increases that way and really bring it back very quickly. I'll have to try that. It's a that's a that's a, that's the one fitness test I could do without getting all sweaty. Yeah, you just you know <laughs> drink, drink water and stuff. Yeah, and just go without eating for a day. It won't hurt you. It's good for you. Huh. You know, a lot of people in the United States, in particular, panic at the least little tummy rumbling, and they assume that it's biologic hunger. It's not. Most people in the United States have never actually experienced true biological hunger. You know. They, they, what they have is what they call habit hunger. Oh, it's 12 o'clock noon when I normally fill my pie hole with lunch, right? Oh, my tummy's rumbling. Oh, my God, I'm getting so weak. I got to eat. Oh, I'm getting blood sugar. I'm getting a headache. You know, it's all this nonsense. A lot of it's emotionalism. But a lot of it is just out of habit. Drink a big glass of water and forget about it. You'll be fine. And people don't get it. By the way, you know, I study these things. I give seminars all over the world, Russia, China, the EU, the UK, Australia. I mean, literally all over the world. I've been to, you know, Mexico, Canada. And, uh, you know, I see populations. Um, the United States now leads the world in obesity. We are the fattest nation on earth. U.S. women are the fattest population on earth. U.S. women lead the world. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing to see some of these other countries, the lean, good-looking people, 
particularly in the Slavic countries, the Baltic countries, people look fantastic. Poland, Russia, they look great, man. Uh, but there are other countries catching up. The UK is catching up quick. Uh, the the EU, Germany is getting pretty fat, but nothing like you see in the States. It's literally cultural shock when I come back to JFK or Newark or Atlanta and I, you know, I'm going through customs and I, I look around the line and say, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. And it's just ironic. You know, there are a lot of countries where people are going without. And, you know, there are places where people are literally starving to death. I just think it's so ironic that in the United States, people are eating themselves to death. You know? Yeah. Another way to look at it, people are all screaming about Donald Trump and the global warming and natural resources and all this stuff, right? Climate change. But think about how negatively you affect climate change when you are an overconsumer, right? If you're fat, that means you're eating more than your fair share of the natural resources in the universe. You are eating more than you need. That means you're overconsuming. What does that say about the environment? That's not a good thing. Yeah. That means you're a greedy person. Now, you may be unconsciously greedy and not knowing it. It may be some kind of emotional trauma or something that predisposes you to overeating. But if you think about it, you're eating more than your fair share, which means that someone else may not be getting a share. So, I mean, it's just something to think about, you know. People always give it to charities and things. I think the best thing they could do is stop eating so much. So there's a little bit more left over for, for the rest of the world. And live a little healthier at the same time. And be healthy at the same time. That's not to say that it would ever be distributed there anyway. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but it, it, is a, it is an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, they get into the environment and energy. If you're fat, you're using more than your fair share. You're eating so much that your body is now storing this energy away in the form of fat cells, which means that you are way over-consuming. And Americans are unbelievable consumers. We all over-consume everything. Every kind of energy in America tops the charts of every other country in the world, our, you know, our energy consumption. Uh, last that, that directly, that's directly related to global warming, by the way. Yeah, and and I can see how, uh, you, you like the the Just diet the stuff could be. It. Yeah, it uh, it's an interesting way to look at it, and maybe that could be uh, somewhat motivating for somebody to to clean up their diet and eat a little bit uh, less or healthier. Well, for no other reason, you know, do it for 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 the rest. Of you know, if you're a family man or you know a family person, do it for your family for goodness' sake, you know, because healthcare costs are ridiculous, and you know when you when you're an obese person, man, you are putting a huge drag on uh, on healthcare because obesity is pretty much linked to just about virtually every disease on the planet, every malady. So yeah, Steve, you briefly mentioned. Yeah, you going? 
Yeah, I gotta go, man. Okay, it's, how could? Uh, yeah, I got I got another uh, thing. Time, time there. flies. How, how could somebody get a hold of you or uh, meet? Go, get go up to the website uh, maxwellsc.com. Maxwellsc.com. Uh, I have a lot of anti-aging. Uh, of course, you know I hate to use that term. It's a trite anti-aging. What is that really? But you know, ways to age gracefully and age well, and to be comfortable at any age, to be fit at every age. Uh, you know, I do a lot of jujitsu work because it was my my first love, grappling. And you know, uh, the aging athlete in jujitsu, I specialize in that. Okay. So the website is maxwellsc.com, and uh, follow me on Twitter and like my Facebook page. I'm always putting up pictures and videos and i am a minimalist i do travel the world and i live out of one bag and i own nothing i have one 45 liter bag to my name yeah you know? wow uh, yeah just a few few outfits you know that, that's awesome it's, i i follow you on facebook it's fun to see where you're at you're always in these amazing locations and and uh it's, it's great to hear that uh, you're still uh living the lifestyle that you want to have and, and doing the things that you want to do and helping people yeah well hey thanks and I appreciate you letting my voice be heard and uh, uh, yeah it's always great talking to you so uh, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll see you around man absolutely it's a small world it's a small world and the Jiu-Jitsu community is not that big everyone thinks it's big but it's not that many of us so I'm sure we'll uh, we'll run into each other one of these days yep sounds good well thank you Steve uh, thank you Byron All right, I want to thank Steve Maxwell for the interview. Check him out online. I'll put a link to his uh, website. He does a lot of coaching over the internet. Definitely urge you, if you're looking for something like that, uh, to find him. Uh, It's basically what he does. He's helping people online. And and also, he travels the world and teaches a bunch of seminars in person, but... Uh, a big bulk of what he's doing is, is helping people online. That could be someone like you. If you if what he was saying really spoke to you today, uh, check him out. All right, my friends, I'm bringing Jeremy Parrish to the BJJ Break podcast. He's a quick message. We've had him on uh, a while ago, and Jeremy has a charity event here locally in Wichita, Kansas that he wants to talk to us about. Jeremy, what's happening, my man? So on July 22nd, um, in conjunction with the We Defy Foundation, we're going to be running like a roll-a-thon, a grapple-a-thon, uh, and essentially what's going to happen is from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Fox Fitness in Wichita, we're going to be running an open mat. Um, it'll be gi, no gi, you know, whatever, um, and we're just going to have it open and hopefully just get a bunch of people in to donate uh, towards their fundraiser. You know, the We Defy Foundation is is fairly new. I believe this they're going into their second full year so this is one of the big events that they put on to really hit the fundraiser to help support their scholarship athlete. That is awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to this event. I will definitely be there. Don't know if that's a big window of time. Not sure when for sure. But uh, if you're uh, wanting to beat me up a little bit, send me an email, and uh, we'll we'll make sure that our schedules match up. Uh, Jeremy, so basically, gi no gi, come in and roll and, and have a good time in in. Uh, and, and raise some money for a great cause. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it even if it's something that maybe, you know, you're new to jujitsu and maybe you just want to check it out and, and see what it's all about, you know, it'd be a good time to come in. We're going to have a, hopefully have a lot of guys from different gyms um, representing all levels of jujitsu. So even if you're brand new, come check it out. 
you know, not, not everything has to be a role. I, there'll be a lot of guys that would be willing to just drill some basics with you and, and help you out on, in that aspect as well. So, you know, the, the more, the more people that show up, the, the better turnout and the, hopefully the more we raise for, you know, the we defy foundation. Yeah. That's a very interesting idea. If you, if you're new or maybe you're, you're listening to this and you really want to try jujitsu, but you just haven't quite got the nerve up yet. And, and you're just thinking about it. This would be a great event. Come in and, and meet a bunch of people and see what jujitsu is and, and, and take away some of that uh, scare factor that uh, a lot of times you'll have uh, trying something new and yeah, we'll have a lot of nice people there. Uh, they'll be happy to show you if you tell them, "Hey, I'm pretty new at this. I've never actually done this before." You're going to have a great experience at an event like this. And this is at the gym that Jeremy and I both train at uh, multiple times times per week. So uh, I'm sure Jeremy will be there having a good time. Jeremy's known to be passing out some footlocks, so uh, I'll be looking forward to getting that done. <laughs> some footlocks, toe holds, and knee bars for everybody with the show. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for stopping by, Jeremy, and uh, we look forward to the event on July 22nd. And uh, Gary, we've got a different type of article this week. Uh, I guess all articles are different, but this one is kind of a technical article, which is uh, something that we haven't had a lot of. It's called The Five Commandments of the Underhook Half Guard, and it's on uh, a website called BJJ Canvas. Um and uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But there are, evidently, Gary, there are five commandments to a half card, that uh, underhook half card. And I know Gary plays a lot of underhook half card. We'll, we'll kind of see how he uh, views these commandments. Uh, come, you, know, you go ahead. You know, before we even get to it, I mean, I, I love the title BJJ Canvas. And he's, you know, it's like it's paper that you're you're drawing on or painting on and he says drawing on diverse sources in order to inspire that art that is jujitsu i just thought that was really that unique. Is cool. and, uh, yeah and then i mean just the you know the top header um you know just a really cool uh website i, I just wanted to throw that out there real quick sorry i took us off topic there. no that's good it, gary's always recognizing the fine details of the artwork uh this article is by kenneth brown uh gary uh commandment the first I will fight to stay on my side. You, uh, how do you feel about that, Gary? Oh, you definitely got to stay on your side. You don't want to get flattened out. Uh, you know, everything, uh, all your offense and sweeps and everything comes from being on your side. So, uh, you know, that was the very first thing I learned was, uh, you know, fight and stay on your side. Commandment the second. I will keep my bottom elbow glued to my side. What's that about, Gary? You want to glue your elbow to your side, your bottom elbow to your side. I have a left and a right elbow. What do you mean? That would be whatever (laughs) elbow is on the bottom. Uh, So if I'm on my right side, it's going to be my right elbow? I guess. I'm trying to picture that in my head. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, um, keep that arm in in tight. Uh, You know, when when it kind of leaves your body there, it gets a lot weaker. And, yeah, uh, and it, I mean, just that space, it gives you something to, you know, grab on and maybe flatten the guy out again, too. So, um, you know, it goes back to number one. We want to stay on our side. Gary, I want you to read the uh, commandment number three in the in the uh, epic voice. <laughs> Here you go, man. Commandment number three. I will win any battle for the underhook because I won't stop. That was very intense. <laughs> Why, thank you. No, basically... Uh, 
you you, you want to win that underhook battle. Um, you know, so you're going to fight. He's fighting to grab an underhook to uh, flatten you back out. You know, to put some shoulder pressure, in, you know, on, under your uh, under your jaw and an underhook to flatten you out. And you're fighting, you know, to get that underhook because you want to stay on your side. So uh, you know, you're going to fight to fight to the death for the underhook. All right, Gary. Since I'm uh, since you're evidently doing requests, <laughs> how about a more uh, sexy voice on number four? <laughs> Oh, Byron! <laughs> I will make I will make my opponent uncomfortable. <laughs> you can't say the word <laughs> uncomfortable in a sexy voice. <laughs> oh, I can't, Byron. Let's, let me hear it one more time, Gary. Uncomfortable. Oh, that's nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is now uncomfortable of, of a podcast here. But, uh, yeah, there's an element of discomfort to playing half guard, and that's something that you kind of have to realize. Um, I think of the bottom position of being a little bit more uncomfortable than the top, especially with the, if you, you get flattened out onto your back. Yeah, you get flattened out. You get cross-faced. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, it, there's also opportunity there to make it uh, uncomfortable by saying something, kind of whispering something into their ear. Uh, that might make them be a little bit awkward. Do you have an example of something you could whisper to them that might uh, might make them a little bit uncomfortable, Gary? You know, the one thing I've noticed uh, when I'm going against an opponent, and if I really want to make that person uncomfortable, and, and to be honest, I've said it numerous times. I've just watched people throw up. <laughs> I've seen uncontrollable diarrhea. I've okay. seen flatulence just from mentioning this word. But I just look them right in the eye and say, Byron Jabara. Oh, burn. Works every time. Most time it's just like, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> commandment. <Who? laughs> uh, commandment number five. I will control the distance and establish leverage, which sounds really easy, but is not oftentimes very easy. I remember uh, when I first started working half guard, I was training with Jason Bircher, who we've had on this show before, and that was one of the big things he talked to me about is, you know, controlling the distance. And uh, uh, it was one thing that I wasn't doing very well when I first started, and, and thanks to a little bit of help from him, it, I understood it a lot better, and it, it really did uh, change my uh, half-guard game. Yeah, Gary, what do you think about uh, – so this article that we, we literally read – uh, five sentences out of an article that's probably four pages long. And he's got details about each each thing and a lot more half-guard stuff. But what do you think about the idea of having kind of a set of rules for a, a position to kind of keep you uh, going in the right direction, give you some, some ground rules of what you should be trying to do at least? Is that a good idea? Oh, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, otherwise you're just doing it haphazardly. Uh, there's people who've come before, you know, each and every person and and found out what works best for them in half guards. You know, the first person who ever used half guards is like, hey, what's this? You know, how am I going to get better at it? And, you know, kept working and working. Other people started doing it. So, uh, you know, if you have a, a roadmap, a game plan to go by, you know, how to how to get better at that position, how the position works. And, and you know, you're going to you're going to use those you know, bullet points and, uh, you know, in your training. And, and it also helps you where you can train 
you know, at home, you know, mentally, you can just, uh, you know, take out this article and just start thinking about it. And, uh, you know, just going through the steps and then reading in depth of each step. We didn't really go in depth, which we never really go in depth on our articles. But, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it. Like Byron said, it's not just five bullet points that we read. And, uh, you know, you can just sit there and read this article. And I guarantee you just by reading the article, your half card game will get better. And, uh, you know, paying attention and, and thinking about it in your head. Yeah, it's I really like the idea of having a base set of rules and eventually you just know them and you know, yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, uh, you know, really get my elbows far from my body when someone's in mount because they're going to armbar me. Like you don't think about it. But at the beginning, you need to actually think, here's my five rules. I got to do these five things and I'll be heading in the right direction, regardless of if I'm actually going to get those things done. Uh, you know, someone passes my guard. I got a shrimp. That's a good. That's always a good option. Or I got to get to my knees. There's a couple things, but to give yourself rules for each position, like this is my goal. This is what I want to do. These are my you could say commandments, and it'll cut down on your confusion because it'll give you, especially if you're newer at jujitsu, it'll give you some options or some things to attempt because it is frustrating when you get tapped out or you're just getting you know kind of beat up on and you don't even know what to try to do. You know that's a very frustrating feeling. Like I don't, I don't know what I should be trying. I know that it wouldn't work, but I don't even know what to attempt. And so, just by having a set of kind of rules for each of the positions you find yourself in, a lot really helps you out as as far as cutting down the frustration and actually helping with your learning. Because the more you get to try things, the better you get at them. And now you know, yep. Gary. Yeah. Hey, and also too, uh, right there on the the top right hand side. Um, you know, he does have an email list too, and it says, uh, receive a free lesson from my half guard, half guard course. Um, so definitely just put in your email address, which I just did because I just happened to see it, and I'm going to get a free lesson, and uh, my jujitsu will even get better. Yep. And so I don't... thank you, Kenneth Brown. Yeah. That's uh, way to go, Carrie. Let me, uh, might be getting on that one myself. We'll be all yeah, half guarding hey. around here. And he also has, uh, you know, like his Facebook page on there, and uh, I just did. Gary. You're the man. Yes. You know, if, if I'm working on my half guard, Gary's working on his half guard, what do we have? A full guard. <laughs> Does it work like that? I don't know. Well, don't know. two half guards should make a full guard. One. A one guard. A one guard. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. One or, and there's one full, I don't know. Yeah. It's okay. wonderful. It's wonderful. We, I just got confused. but uh, Well, that happens a lot, Byron. <laughs> but good thing is, Gary... Uh, with the article wrapped up, we could m- briefly mention your audio book. The I'm Ale- excited. Yeah. <laughs> so Gary never knows what the title of his audio book is going to be about. or And he has to kind of quickly come up with a topic and uh, put a little bit of teeth into the material. And uh, Gary's audio book this week is called The Alligator Tooth, The Once a Mission That Will Twist and Turn and Drag You Under the Deep Water. That sounds pretty crazy. Yeah, it's definitely crazy. Um, what was the name of it again? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Something about the alligator tooth and how okay, it will to yeah. take you out in deep water. And, you know, a lot of people when you start jiu-jitsu don't really know what the deep water is. And, uh, you know, that's one big thing in jiu-jitsu is uh, a good way to win is to take people out into deep water. And kind of that's what we're going to go go into with this book. I mean, we can fight people where they like to fight. Most people want to do it on a wrestling mat, you know, and uh, 
that's that's the normal thing for jujitsu. Some people like to do it in in you know on bar floors, barroom floors. They like to get in bar fights. Um, some people do it in a boxing ring. Some do it in a, you know MMA MMA cage. Um, some people like to fight in school. So I mean, there's a lot of different not venues. Cool. Yeah, not cool. You know, you don't want to be too cool for school. But um, there's a lot of different venues to fight. And what we're saying is, you know, we talk about chapter one, you know, we mentioned all the different venues and, and what are the advantages to each person. And But what we want to do is really take a person out of their comfort zone and make it more advantageous for me to win a fight. And, you know, today, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations. I mean, can you carry a gun? Can you carry a knife? Uh, can you carry nunchucks? Uh, can you carry Chinese throwing stars? Myself, I'm proficient with a bow staff. Yeah. You know, can I carry a bow staff? So, you know, there's different rules in different cities, you know, whether or not, you know, you can be armed. Gary, um, you know, yes. As, as kind of a person who's playing the role of the reporter here, wanting to learn more about this audiobook, it's called the Allig- something about the alligator tooth. It's, you know, it's, you're also turning the tables on me because I make up a name for audiobook and you ask me what the name is again. I can't even remember what I said three seconds ago. But is it true that you walk around with an alligator tooth necklace? And how do you use this if it's true uh, in any sort of an altercation you might find yourself in? Well, Byron, that's where I was headed down that path okay. uh, right before you rudely interrupted. I'm me. sorry about that. I had to really yeah. inject the alligator. Because I was, in. <laughs> I was talking about what kind of weapons you could carry and, yeah. and what you can. So basically, I do carry a necklace. I, I actually have two necklaces. Uh, one's a puka shell necklace, and then one is you know a shark tooth necklace. And that way, people, a lot of people think I'm a beach ball, and they don't think much of me. Yeah, but that shark tooth necklace. It really has a tooth. And I mean, I got it from one of the largest alligators you've ever saw. I don't know if you know this alligator, <laughs> but this allig- this one to particular alligator that I got it from, he actually, he's well known. He's the alligator that bit and took off the arm of Happy Gilmore's coach. Um, so he's a really big uh, uh, alligator. But, you know, I just happened <laughs> to get one of his teeth. I mean, you've... It's it's over six inches long this tooth, and it's it's uh, I've grinded it down to razor sharpness. Gary, I have no idea what's going on anymore. Uh, I think, and we could uh, you could rewind the episode two minutes. Are you interchanging the word shark and alligator? Oh, accident? sorry. Yeah, alligator. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. so confused. Yeah, sorry. I'm an alligator. <laughs> my my apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Alligator. Part of the myth of the of the necklace is what is it really made out of? Yeah. So well, you know. Most sharks and alligator teeth. I don't know if you know this or not. If you've actually done some research on yeah, this, but fact. a lot of it is made out of calcium, yeah. and, uh, so it's really kind of the same DNA in both uh, teeth. So it's really not much of a difference. Yeah, they're basically the same. They're basically a tooth. Yeah, yep, a tooth is a tooth. So, but okay. So, I, what I start the first part is I, you know, you always have to carry a weapon, and nowhere is an alligator tooth necklace outlawed no you know city state you know jurisdiction will outlaw that i mean there are some that have outlawed shark tooth necklaces that's true but nobody has outlawed an alligator tooth so you can carry it everywhere i mean you can even take it through uh flying an airplane with it, you know which uh you know a lot of people are doing today gary it seems it, yes it seems like as a jiu-jitsu guy you would be cautious of having something around your neck that's sharp and, and pokey like a tooth. 
Are you able to defend it if somebody tries to choke you with your own necklace, tooth necklace? Uh, no, my, my necklace is a breakaway necklace. Oh. It's, you know, held together with Velcro. So I pull it off and, uh, you know, I put it between my fingers and scratch people with it. That's what I do. I see. You know, you, yeah, it's kind of like a cow paw. And, and how much is one of the necklaces comes with the digital download? Is that right? Yes, uh, you can actually plug it into a U- USB port, you know, and save everything if you need to. That's okay. one of the advantages of it. And it comes but, free with it. That's cool. Yes. Yep. But, you know, you're not letting me get to the second part of the book. <laughs> you know? Part two of the book, you know, now we talk about dragging people in deep water. Yeah. We're going to – there's a little prologue to the book that is going to teach you how to swim, hold your breath, and wear fins. So you carry fins everywhere you go. But what we're going to do is when we get into a fight, we are actually going to drag people into the water. We're going to drag them into deep water. A lot of people can't swim. Very many people can't swim. And some people can't swim without floaties. So what we're going to do is we're going to drag them into the water. And then we're going to, you know, scratch them with our, with our alligator tooth. And, uh, they're, you're probably going to win because they're going to use so much energy flapping around while you have very efficient strokes. So, uh, it should be a no brainer and you should win very easily. And then normally when you win, you know, you'll go over the popcorn stand, grab yourself a popcorn and a and a soda just to celebrate. Man, this is this is a this is going to be an amazing audio book with a digital download of a necklace. This is probably a first in the world. Yep, definitely a first. So definitely check it out. It should be out in time for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> nice. You're really getting it together over there, Gary. Thank you. It's going to be uh, alligator shark tooth necklace. Deep water extraordinaire. Yep. A lot of things yep, going on. A lot of people are just calling it Jaws. Yeah, that'll work. You got it. And, and I think that movie tried to rip off your title. Yep, but uh, Steven Spielberg doesn't have anything on me. <laughs> Nobody has anything on you, Gary, except no. our social media uh, Facebook page, because you're on that. You are, uh, and you're on that. And how could you get something on yourself? It's like Chuck Norris can't punch himself in the face. Uh, check out BJJ Brick, uh, our Facebook page. That is our main social media outlet. Our YouTube channel is our second uh, place to go other than the podcast. So we got those things going on, Gary. Yep. We also have Patreon going on. Check out our link to Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a website for content producers like ourselves. Uh, it's an avenue where if you do have the means, you can donate a little bit of money uh, one time or per show um, to support BJJ Brick. And we would not be able to put these shows on each and every week without our slew of uh, BJJ Brick Patreon supporters. And we thank each and every one of you guys. Yep. And we thank them with sending them a BJJ Brick Gee Patch and now just recently arriving in the mail are stickers. So uh, the the current Patreon supporters have already gotten the stickers. If you if you are a Patreon supporter and you haven't got a sticker, maybe your address is wrong in the uh, in the listing there. Maybe you moved or maybe uh, you're no longer currently a Patreon supporter for you know one reason or another. It dropped you or your credit card changed, something like that. It's probably the most common thing. But uh, stickers and patches to all of our friends on Patreon. It's a lot. Uh, it's it's a, a way that we can say thank you because we really appreciate you. 
Yep. And definitely thank everybody uh, for listening, uh, you know, and, and tell your friends about us. Um, you know, our best form of flattery is uh, somebody who comes up and sends us a message at bjjbrick at gmail.com. It says, hey, uh, I listened to your show for the first time today. It was really great. I loved it. And I want to thank so-and-so who told me about it. And uh, so definitely let all your friends know. And also, if you happen to be traveling and you come through the Midwest, uh, definitely check us out. Uh, send us a message. We'd love to roll. Uh, we're in Wichita, Kansas, uh, right in the middle of Kansas. So if you do happen to come through, uh, we'd love to get on the mat with you. And uh, this week, we actually had two guests come out. Uh, I don't think we've ever had two guests in one week. But uh, um, so thank, uh, thanks uh, for coming out and uh, rolling with us. Yeah, thanks, uh, Matt and Denise. Uh, I think uh, my schedule matched up better with Matt's, but uh, I think... I hope he'll be back in the town sometime and uh, get to get to beat up on Gary a little bit. It's not just me all the time. Actually, I'd rather just have beat up on you, Bonnie. <laughs> Dang it. No, but I, had, I did have a blast uh, rolling with a couple listeners this week, and that was a lot of fun. Gary, I want to tell you about next week. We have Leah Taylor. Uh, one of my favorite teams to find people and interview them from is Straight Blast Gym. And Leah Taylor's a black belt at Straight Blast Gym, and she just took third at Worlds. And uh, what an uh, impressive uh, accomplishment that is. And I just had a conversation with her a few days ago. Really excited to air that with you guys. And uh, it, what, a, what a great person to, to get on the show next week. And I'm really going to be happy to bring you uh, Leah Taylor. So, so definitely make sure you tune in next week. Leah Taylor. Yep. She did a great interview. Thanks so much, everybody. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to get some high-quality H2O from your training partners. Yeah, you're dehydrated. I like it, Carrie. If you're getting sweaty, yep. you got to replenish the fluids that have leaked out of your pores. Yep. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Gary, here we go, yes. my friend. This is our third attempt. I think the the first time we did the World Association game, it was kind of a like a real spur of the moment thing, and it was just it was pretty funny. Uh, second time, it kind of petered out, and uh, I kind of jumbled it up with a sentence in the word. We'll try the third time and see if we're going to keep this uh, segment going. We need, to, we need to practice and get better at it. I don't know how you practice this. You're just kind of. How about you start the word off, Gary? Word association. What do you have for us, Gary? Alligator tooth. Shark tooth. <laughs> Come on. You're all right. You're all right. Say cool. Say cool. Happy Gilmore. Golf. Hit the ball. That's not a word. <laughs> okay. Let's start this all over again. <laughs> okay. Wait. Word association is one word, not Just two, say, right? You could, well, you know, if shark tooth is one word. It's one thing. So I think we're okay. all right. Okay. I'll keep it all this, Gary. Okay. Balls. <laughs> Humans. Grapplers. Armbar. Kimura. Head and arm. Choke. Heel hook. Shoe. Boot. Laces. Tongue. Sucky. (laughs) (laughs) Sucky segment. (laughs) Oh, man. I think our segment blows. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, I think we need to find a better set. We'll put that one in the blooper reel and retire <laughs> Word Association game. <laughs>